Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. You can find me on Facebook at Galen Trombley, on Instagram at Galen Trombley, and on YouTube at Galen Trombley. Spelling G-A-E-L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Galen Trombley Show. Pretty free-flowing. Um, hello, everybody. This is episode uh, 178 of the Galen Trombley Show. I do want to make a, a quick um, note here. This is our first episode, I think, close to a month, which is the one of the longest breaks minus when we took the, uh, the COVID break for uh, the shutdown, but... Um, Mostly because I was fighting sicknesses and a couple just like same thing with some guests. Obviously with COVID world, we had some cancellations. So that's why um, this is actually our first episode, I think since like middle of December. Um, we do anticipate having a full schedule again this year. Um, have a lot of good guests lined up. But our person kicking off this year, um, none other than Chris Trombley. Um, and I had to get the title correct, but now we got it. So he's the Eastern Division Operations Manager at Country Malt Group. Correct. Okay, perfect. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, we also have um, a fill-in surprise guest of the show, but maybe we'll give get him some hot takes over here, um, Caleb Trombley. Yeah. And Caleb is son of Chris Trombley, student at Paul Smith's EMT, and I found out is possibly the voice of Wiry in the future. Probably in the future, but we'll see. Okay, so we might get some. We might get some. Uh, we'll, we'll get some takes on Caleb, and maybe he can fact check his old man here, depending if he goes off, off tilt here. So, um, Chris, welcome. I'm, I'm glad you're doing this. Is this your first podcast? Yeah, it's my first podcast. Uh, Listen to obviously plenty of your podcasts. I think you're up to. 175 or something of that you're nature. 178. But 178, yeah. but I haven't listened to all 178. Probably half of that. But uh, nice to be here. So you have listened to a lot of these? Yeah, a few of them. Which ones are, if you had to pick, which ones did you enjoy the most? Well, I, I always like the ones about um, real estate, to be honest with you. And, and okay. I kind of, not that I'm in real estate, but I know your father Joey's in real estate. But I always listen to his uh, show on Wiry and every uh, Saturday afternoon or Saturday morning, I should say. And then uh, anytime you have a special guest, you know, it has to do with real estate, it kind of fascinates me a little bit, so... Um, so what's your fascination with real estate? I just you're, you're opening the uh, you're opening you know, the Pandora, right now. Yeah, like Pandora's box. Pandora's box for real estate. Well, I'm not an expert. I just I'm always interest, interested in seeing how people kind of you know work. See see how our company has grown. So to, or not our company, but see seeing how our region has grown. And you know, just a few years ago it was so so tough to sell something, and and it was a real challenge. And and as business has grown especially like in the plattsburgh clinton county area um you know there's a really big need for real estate i've never seen it so much more than as currently as right now with some of the bigger companies that we have uh, bombardier and and things well, of that nature I, I look at um so the, the the one thing that i like about my career so far is that i've been able to go i this is the start of my 12th year I was a young kid when I started, but I saw the end of the, the you know, the seven, eight housing collapse. Like I didn't go in yeah. at that point. It was a couple years later, but to see it go from there where short sales and foreclosures and I mean, the amount of inventory sky high out there where people were having a hard time finding, the sellers are finding a hard time finding buyers. Now, you know, over a 10 year period or, or 12 year period, we're starting to see, you know, homes. I just did a, 
we're doing kind of our end of the year market, you know, uh, recap thing. And yeah. realistically, right now, most homes are selling, I think, under two months on average with active days on the market. Wow. Which, and that's average. So you got to look at, you know, obviously, if people are overvalued for a little bit, they stay on longer. But a lot of homes are going within days. And yeah. you're seeing, you know, bidding wars, and there's a house. Friday, a person's like, I want to make an offer on it. I asked the agent, like, hey, any offers? She's like, yeah, I got three in hand, a couple more coming. And this was 24 hours after it been listed. So um, it's it, just to see that and to see, you know, there's such a gap there. And we can, like I said, nerd out on that maybe in, in, a, well, in a little and, bit for you. But in seeing your father and, and, of course, folks, you know, growing up with Kavanaugh, really back when it was in Ross's Point, actually, and, and knowing a lot of folks that work there, it's just amazing to see uh, how, how area, like, Homes have depreciated or, or in some cases, increased in value. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> same thing on the commercial side. Went to school with Matt Boyer, so I've always admired what Matt and Mark have done yep. with uh, CDC, not to speak of your competition, but they sell they sell uh, business. They do commercial. They don't, I, yeah, we good. work a lot with them, actually. Right. Matt and Alex, so no, they're good. They're I, Matt, I, Alex is great. You know, Matt's great. And then, of course, uh, uh, just from my company, uh, you know, dealing a little bit with uh, Neil Fassett, who's a great guy. and. Mm -hmm having some exposure to him so i've always kind of been fascinated in what you guys do yeah it's uh, i think one of the cool things i call it like a sexy industry is that everybody sees houses and it's interesting yeah. and i think you know some certain companies like i got some buddies in finance like and i got some buddies in you know whether it be insurance like no offense insurance isn't really something like that people like because it's not visual it's, yeah. like, it's a paper and real estate it's paper it's what you see it every day driving home um, so that's kind of the cool thing is like our product is literally lining the streets um, anywhere you drive. So I always find that it does attract people's attention more so than, uh, you know, than other fields. So that's, yeah. like I said, it does. It's kind of cool to be in that because you, we always joke, you know, how's the market is you know, here almost every day, especially if you're out and about and talking to people. It's like, hey, how, how's everything going? Like, how's the market? What's it like? What's the prices? So one of the things I do is really try to stay on top of that for those reasons. So you, yeah. it's not like I'm like, uh, I don't really know what the market's doing. It is so, funny. Yeah, it's funny, too, because I have some exposure to some, well, I guess, folks younger than me now. But I remember the feeling it was when I first bought my first piece of land and, you know, put a well on it and then did the foundation and, you know, actually built the house. It was a pretty exciting time. And I see some young folks right now that are really doing a great job and, and they're more into a couple of people I know in particular, are, uh, you know, buying uh, uh, duplexes for an example, and they're, they're doing quite well. Yeah. And uh, I've always wanted to kind of do that, you know, secretly, but I just never had the time and multifamilies, multifamily. Yeah. It's always, and, and, and that's, I don't want to say it's a fad, but it is a, if you can put the time into it, and the dedication and it, it can really pay off. So, well, I think real estate they've, they've said is, historically one of the most consistent wealth drivers because I mean, everything appreciates very i mean even if right. you have a dip overall it appreciates and you, you look at most i think i'd read a stat that most was it billionaires or multi-millionaires or whatever a lot of them had a fairly large uh, real estate portfolio yeah um and again a lot of this might be the own the building the company's in but they you know some of those places are worth you know millions and millions and millions of dollars and it's just the you know the big massive company that's that houses their company and multiple companies and yeah um may maybe with the exception of elon musk i think pretty much everybody's got some type of real estate out there yeah um so chris uh diving into your business kind of give us a background like who, who you are where you came from how you got to be kind of the you know the eastern division operations manager you gave me a quick brief uh intro before we went live but kind of give the people that don't know who you are what you do kind of give us yeah so started off uh, my career started off like everybody else probably you know went to some college went to school and um started in the workforce uh, a couple small jobs went to uh at the time wyeth pharmaceuticals or actually Ariston wyeth 
then eventually became Pfizer, spent like 18 or 19 years there. Really got to work with some good people there and got some great exposure to whole, all kinds of great, just standard practices, you know, and, and just some, and, but at the same time, I had a chance to uh, expand my education like many folks did when they were at Wyeth. Uh, they, they offered a great tuition reimbursement program. So took my Clinton community career and, or school career and then eventually went to uh, a Canton uh, College for Emergency Management, which is my true passion, which I love. And then, uh, of course, you know, Pfizer and, and things have changed over the years. Eventually went to a small company by the name of Country Malt Group. Um, started off by uh, Brian Bashard and his father Claude back in uh, 1995 area uh, or time frame, if you will. Uh, small company, right? And truly, and it was in Champlain, New York, in my backyard. Did not know a lot about it. I knew Brian. Uh, he was a, a year behind me in school at Northeastern Clinton. Uh, but when, when you're in school, you, don't, you look ahead, you don't look back, right? Uh, but uh, eventually got hired at. Um, Country Malt Group, which is a division of Great Western Malting, which is now a division of United Malt uh, Corp. Um, and, and with that, it's it's really nice because it's like working for a small company, but yet you're working for a bigger uh, group, if you will. Uh, and with United Malt or Great Western Malting, uh, we're also part of the Canada Malting Group and uh, a whole bunch of other folks. So it's it's a really good been a great career. So where did Country Malt start out? Was it back in the industrial park? Because it was there for a time, wasn't it? It actually started in a tool shed in Ross's Point. Okay. I, I figured Champlain. it had to be a little, yeah. little more. Yeah, uh, it started off in a tool shed. And, uh, and of course, Brian Bashard, great, just a great individual, great businessman, great friend, um, started the company. Um, he had a degree in a financial uh, background, if you will, and, and a degree in finance, and uh, uh, really took it to the next level. Again, starting off from a tool shed, and, and of course, I'm going by you know what Brian's told me in the history and Claude, and brought it to uh, rented a small uh, warehouse lease actually a small warehouse space in Champlain on Beeman Way where we're uh, currently our Champlain facility is, and then eventually leased the rest of the warehouse and then eventually added on in 2004 2000 time frame time frame, and by the time I came on about eight years ago. They were just expanding uh, that facility into 100,000 square feet with the help of Neil Fossett. So when you look at, was it ever on the, so what was the one that was on Industrial Boulevard off of Route 11? Oh, that, so that was uh, through the uh, Industrial Development Agency. Um, we had a, a small distribution site, actually a receiving center on Route 11, Pocket Drive in Route yep. 11 in the town of Champlain. And that worked out well for us uh, until we built a 100,000 square foot facility. So everything's now on Beeman Way. Everything now is on Beeman Way. I haven't seen the whole thing. I remember back when it was being put up, and yeah. I knew Neil was involved in it at the time. And um, this is what about ten years ago? About that's uh, about eight years ago now. Eight when years? I first started, we we're just diving into that. When I first it, came on, well, I was from uh, Shay Z, so I used to, yeah. I used to play golf a lot as a kid. So like I'd be, I say as a kid, but even back then, like driving in up to the office in Rouse's Point, so we drove by it a lot. But yeah. it's behind the tree, so like you kind of see a little bit of it. But you, like right now, you can see a little bit more, obviously with the leaves down. Yeah, but it's uh, tucked back, but yeah, hundred thousand square. That's how big it is. Hundred thousand square, square. Well, with the three, there's three buildings, and with the combined, it's like one hundred fifty-two thousand square feet, give or take a little bit. And uh, so with Neil's help and. and uh, we really developed that. Neil did a great job. Just a great individual, great person to work with. How uh, how many people work at Country Malt? 
But right now we have 12 different sites um, across North America. In Champlain, we have uh, approximately, with the CSRs, which is the customer service group, uh, who takes the orders for uh, North America. I think we, at one time, I think we were up to 37 or 40 people. Now this is give or take because this co- is- COVID has really, you know, changed things a little bit to some degree. And the fact that many of our sites, many of our people work from home, uh, as many do in the North Country and across North America now. But at the total site right now in the warehouse, we have a, approximately uh, uh, 20, 27 people. And then about the same amount within within the office within space the office of space by the time yeah by the time you add the other ancillary people so out of the hundred and fifty thousand square feet how much of that's warehouse space oh a good share of it i mean there, there's some uh we do some light manufacturing we have a bagging line at the champlain facilities to where we can bag uh bulk malt we have six 20 metric ton silos and then uh i would say probably about 130 of it is actual warehouse space and, um, and we have two large hop coolers that we store hops in and things of that nature. And Country Malt Group, just kind of give people that don't know, like what is what are you guys in the business of doing? So we're the distribution arm of the company. So we distribute uh, malt and hops and and all the stuff to I, we all the stuff to make beer basically and and support the craft industry, if you will. So it's not just malt. It, it's you know it could be cleaning agents, uh, that type of thing. And a lot of hops, uh, a lot of grain, obviously a lot of a lot of different types of products so people want to buy directly from you but you would distribute to the people where they could buy from yeah you have to be in order to buy from us you have to be uh you have to have a brick and mortar uh, location if you will mm-hmm. and you have to be a said customer so we don't sell wholesale like we don't sell on site but okay. we sell to just to establish customers if you will do you establish uh, or to any local companies yeah we have uh locally it's kind of neat we uh, work with some great people uh, you know jesse jolliker comes to mind from Ovalcraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Dan and uh, and uh, Dylan at Osable Brewing, just mm-hmm. two great individuals that make some great beer. Um, Valcor uh, Brewing is one. I mean, I could go on and on. I'm probably going to miss one. Plasper Brewing Company. So, so most of the major local, local yeah. beers or local yeah. craft areas. Um, and then to, to the point where we also deal on the commercial side. I mean, one of our biggest um, commercial customers in Vermont is the Alchemist. I was and, wondering that. Yeah, yeah, the Alchemist, which everybody smiles when you say that because they make Caddy Topper mm-hmm. and, and Focal Banger and all this great beer. So they're just great people to deal with. Do, does most of the, because uh, I mean, Vermont's obviously got a big craft beer, you know, culture over there. Does Do you guys, uh, Magic Hat or Fiddlehead or? Yeah, most of those, most of those switch folks. Switchback. Switchback. And yeah, we have a great affiliation with uh, Switchback and Tony. And, and Switchback is interesting because since I've been here, it's now all comp- it's all now employee owned, which is great for those people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Cherry obviously started Switchback in in the day, and Brian knows them very well. But um, they're all employee owned right now, and you talk to those individuals there, and they have a buy in, which is great. You don't see that very often, you know, and in, in a lot of the breweries. I was actually yeah, I was well, I look at a lot of those companies because I mean they're national companies now. I mean, right. And you look at at least Switchback, and I think Fiddlehead's starting to get there, and. Uh, you know, you, you can travel quite a distance. You can still find those beers on the shelf. Obviously, Magic yeah. Hat for years has been there. But, um, you know, I, I guess when you guys started working with them, they were probably, I'm, I'm guessing, little smaller startup businesses that have just over time kind of expanded. I think Yeah, nobody ever starts off big. I don't think anybody ever starts off. When you off guys big. started with these? Were they, yeah, were they're they, all, they were small? They were small. I mean, okay. when, I, when I first came on, I think they were, you know, with a couple exceptions, they were pretty small. And, and that's why we really supported the small brewer when we first started because – most of your small brewers 
started off in a garage. If you look at their history and you look at their background, you talk to any of these people, especially the brewers, you know, they started somewhere, probably not in a tool shed, but maybe in a garage or a basement or, you know, if you look back and everybody starts small, nobody starts off with a big, huge company. Yeah. Well, I think the, uh, you know, when you start looking at like the, um, old photos that Apple was in the garage, you know, yeah. like Amazon, Jeff Bezos, the, the, the iconic one of him just sitting in a room with like an Amazon spray painted. Absolutely. Sign. You know, that's, they all started small, you know, and, but I think, um, it's just a, such a great company to work for. And it, it we have a, you know, I spent three, eight, three years, the past three years on the chamber board, just recently got off the chamber of commerce board in Plattsburgh here and really had some great exposure. But what makes our area unique and what makes it nice here is that we have, we're so close to the port of Montreal. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and this do you do a lot of international shipping? Do a lot of uh, yeah, shipping from you know Europe and different parts. We have different types of uh, malt and grains from uh, you know the UK, Ireland, all kinds of places. So when you so again, because my my knowledge of this is is very elementary. If you so you guys bring in you have people that distribute to you, and then you we have, turn, we have are distribu- distributing. Your distribution center to smaller places to smaller places yeah. yeah so we we basically we have we're customers of, of uh say like different folks thomas fawcett um baird's you know different types of malts that are out there and we have the distribution rights to go out and dis- distribute to these folks and and distribute you know on behalf of our customers so wh- where does most of the malt come from is this like the flyover states kind of like the, the you know looking out the fields and stuff yeah that- it comes over a lot of it comes from the out in the western part of the of the u.s and canada mm-hmm. and uh so yeah canada i was gonna say they must have canada yeah we we import a lot from uh calgary <clears throat> our canada malting our sister plant and uh our sister company canada malting we receive a lot of uh malt from canada malting and and from <clears throat> europe you'd do you import from Europe also? Or is it yeah. mostly export? No, it's all import. It's it's imported from Europe. And wh- where where's the big? Uh, I guess, like where would the malt or grains or anything come from Europe? Where where's the major? Uh, like where, where would you import the most? Oh, I mean, from? probably from, probably from the Germany? UK, Germany. Yeah, um, you know that that area. Can I just need to know what kind of. Uh, Typically, what kind of weather is better for that? Because obviously, certain areas you can't probably grow it that well, and so a lot of it's soil or, or yeah. temperature or climate. There's so much to that part of it that I just don't know about. But there, there was like it's like hops. You know, there there's certain hops that grow well. Much of our hops comes from uh, Yakima, uh, Yakima in that area out west, and okay. in Washington, Washington State, and, okay. and that whole re- you know that whole region is great for growing hops and. And here, and I, I am not an expert on growing grain or hops or all that kind of good stuff, but there's a lot of, you can grow hops around here. Certain types of hops are, are available, Okay. but there's, it's, it's a very unique part of the, the business. I think it's kind of like, um, I've had like Dan and Nancy Vesco from Vesco yeah, Vineyard on and they were talking people. about, yeah, and they were talking about where they get the grapes from and they, it, they have some out there. I mean, you'll see yeah. Dan out there with his, you know, his tractor and he's doing all the work out there, but then they also bring stuff from the Finger Lakes and there's certain regions. They said it just grows it very It just well. grows better. It's like grapes. You know, you go out to uh, Western New York or if you go out to uh, Ontario in the uh, Niagara uh, River region, mm-hmm. that whole area, just, of course, that's big on ice wine. Uh, they're yeah. big on, on ice wine, obviously because of the climate. Yeah. So it's, uh, the growing aspect and, and, the it comes from all over, but it's, it's just funny. And, and like locally here, there's not a lot of farmers that probably would want to grow barley because you really have to dedicate your fields to growing barley. You have to, 
As I say, well, a lot of it's with your margins on it, especially yeah. with the size and like some of those places. If you have those massive farms that just have acres and acres and yeah. acres of land, and they could just you know, at that point, it, it's it's kind of a, uh, a quantity game. At, at a certain point, I mean, the quality's got to be there, but at a certain point, you need the quantity. And, you need the quantity. You know, like around here, it's like you know, obviously Drews, but you have a lot more like cow dairy farms and yeah. And, and you really like have that. to dedicate your fields. And again, not knowing a lot about farming, but you really have to give up your fields for I, the last I heard like five to six years before you can turn the soil wow. in order to make it. So you really, and there's not a lot of farmers that want to give up their, their land for that period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to, once the barley's, once you accumulate the barley, you have to malt it. So to build a malt house around. So, yeah, talk about the malt process. You know, the, malt, the malt process, you know, is, is basically involves a lot of different it, steeping, you know, and, and introduces water and all kinds of elements. And basically at the end of the day, um, the, the brewer, if you will, the craft brewer, they're looking for the nucleus of the of the of the barley. They're looking for the the sh- the, the sugar spot, you know, all the sweet stuff, the all the stuff that's in the nucleus. So through the malt process, and much of our malting, at least locally here, um, is done in Montreal. So again, being part of the Canada malting family, Montreal is uh, one of our one of our biggest malt houses. Uh, around here and they're located in the port of montreal so that makes it nice too um now what is your as an eastern division operations manager like what's your role each day so my role each day so i have uh i have five or six sites that i uh, oversee on the east coast um champlain obviously being one of them Mm -hmm. Uh, right now florida texas um chicago um toronto i have to think about Asheville, north carolina uh, and then actually just, and along with, um, you know, the director of operations, um, I also have uh, Vancouver, BC, as well as a small spot in Calgary. So you're traveling a lot to these places? Used to travel before okay. COVID. Uh, we used to travel quite a bit, but travels uh, due to COVID-19, obviously that's on lockdown right now. Do you find, so you would go probably to these plants for a couple of days at a time and, or a week at a time and just yeah. kind of oversee and just make, so you're, you're trying to make sure that the operations aspect yeah, make is sure on the point. operations on point. We have, you know, warehouse or distribution site managers at each location who are very talented and uh, very skilled at what they do and all that kind of stuff. And some, some sites are bigger than others. Um, we had a couple of people uh, that work for us here in Champlain that actually one individual, Josh Davison, it actually went from a warehouse manager in Champlain or distribution site manager in Champlain, and now he runs a, the site in uh, in uh, Florida. Yeah, at, uh, oh wow! Yeah, I'm trying to think. Of, well, it's it's near Tampa, basically. So uh, when you, I mean, each each obviously plant has a manager, but you're the one that oversees, oversees all the operations. Those, yeah. so they have like each individual has operation right. managers. Uh, each each site each, has yeah, distribution site. site managers, and then. Uh, the operation, I'm, I'm on the East Coast. We have a, my counterpart on the West Coast. It's, so we have a Western uh, Division uh, operations manager. This is 13 in total locations, you said? Yeah, 13. Actually, yeah, 13 because we do have a, a third party in Halifax that okay. we work with. So Now, all the ones you just listed, obviously Champlain being the smallest location out of the ones you listed. Actually, Champlain is one of the larger ones for Vancouver. Well, uh, I mean, from a, from a city standpoint. From a city standpoint, yeah, yeah pretty small. Off. Yeah, pretty small. Are you, are you generalizing, though? Because when you say, like, when you said uh, Tampa, you said, well, it's probably in a small town outside Tampa. Yeah, so we're actually, like, for an example, in Tampa, I, I use Tampa, but we're actually in Plant City. We're located within the limits of Plant City. So would you be... Lo- Again, take a coin from uh, Gary Douglas. You'd be looking at like the Montreal aspect. Yeah. So close to Canada. So close to Canada. So we can okay. tend to regionalize a little bit. And, 
the, Champlain is Champlain. Uh, Champlain being a smaller town, obviously, but you know we we call Champlain what it is, Champlain. Although you know we're located pretty close, as you know, to Burlington and Montreal and Plattsburgh and all that kind of stuff. I, I would say a pretty yeah, pretty healthy uh, craft beer or beer beer kind of regions. Yeah, pretty healthy and much like uh, North Carolina, Asheville, North Carolina. Um, we're actually in the town of or city limits of Fletcher, North Carolina, but we call it Asheville yeah. because it's so close and. Asheville, like Burlington, has uh, Asheville reminds me a lot of Burlington, Vermont, just just because of the. I've I've heard that. I've heard Asheville is yeah. like a very kind of like, I, I don't want to. It kind of has the vibe of a, of a I've got like a hippie town, but kind of a little like bit, a, yeah, kind of like Burlington, a little easy really, going, yeah, easy little going, and colorful, bright yeah. music. It's funny because I met some guys on a plane one time coming back from Asheville, and they were flying into Burlington just to have that same type of experience, but. In Vermont, a little warmer, so, yeah, a little warmer. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so from like an operation standpoint, this is something I've been trying to focus on a lot at the com- company. Here is, um, what what do you think are some keys that you look at for operations? Like, what's something that sta- I mean, because I'm gonna take kind of your, uh, we'll talk about Wyeth down the road too. But um, from an operation standpoint, what's things that you think are key to being successful at that? Well, labor is big a big part of it. I mean, if you don't have the labor, you have nothing, right? So, uh, labor. I mean, location is critical. Um, obviously, uh, you know, location is key, and, and part of that part of location is labor. I mean, everything really focuses around labor, which is really tough these days, um, as as you know, because just for I mean, COVID nineteen has really put a strain on our labor pool and things of that nature. But just labor in general. Um, I never thought I'd see a day, at least, you know, coming back locally here, I never, you know, labor used to be easy. When I first started, it was it, not an issue. <clears throat> but as we get into, and the region does their job with Bombardier and, and Nova Bus and all these great companies that we have here, you know, labor can be a little bit on the tight side, which is tough. Have you guys found that you've lost people or is it, or is it, lack, or maybe not lost people, but maybe lack the ability to expand? Um, not really the lockability to expand, um, not, and not really lost people per se. It's just a little bit harder. So we really have to work with our staffing agency partners mm-hmm. that we have locally. And we've done such things as direct hire. Um, we've, we've changed it some direct hire. Um, we've offered like many companies incentives. Um, we'd offered, uh, and it's not just about money. Sometimes it's just about security, right? Mm-hmm. So. Well, I've, I've looked at, uh, <coughs> like from our company too, a lot of it, you know, being a small business is something that plays on your mind all the time. It's like, okay, can you, you know, what, what's, uh, what's the salary or what's the benefits? Or, and sometimes too, a lot of it is, I was looking at this, it's like, well, if we can't have certain benefits or we can't have a certain salary or whatever, what can we also add that's a value add that's not right. that, which might be flexibility or time. And I find that, you know, trying to kind of have a cohesiveness of, you know, place to work, but I, I'm not a big, I hate micromanaging and I hate, um, I'm not so like, I always look at, I like people having a little bit of freedom in their day. Yeah. Like I don't like, okay, punch clock, leave. Like I don't, I'm not, that's, I've never been wired like that. And to me, it's like, I, I think there's free flowing things in life. Like, especially right now with, uh, you know, a couple of our staff have children. So you never know when their school is going to shut yeah. down or all of a sudden they have to stay home because they have to watch a kid and having that flexibility, I think is a peace of mind also. Um, it is. It's a benefit too. And I think yeah. one of the benefits that we have around here anyway is um, our region. You know, we live in a beautiful area. It's an attraction for a lot of people. Cost of living is huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can't control the cost of living as a company, but um, the cost of living 
does play a big role. I, I know that's a really a big struggle on our West Coast sites. Um, you know, somebody can be making a certain wage per hour. You can offer the best benefits in the world, but if they can't survive, if they can't yeah. live, and we're seeing a cultural change in that too, of course, you know, as, as people have more of a base wage as their base wage increases, things of that nature. But I like to say we're competitive, but again, having that flexibility, we're a great company to work for. Um, encourage anybody that wants to, you to plug it. Plug, yeah. yeah, we'll plug it. Right. <laughs> That's what I'm here for is to plug, you know, uh, to really plug. It's just an awesome company to work for and just great people to, I, I have had so much exposure to, to some really good people, not just our, not just people I work with, but our customers too. Do you have uh, pretty low turnover then overall, like throughout the years? I would say so. Yeah. Champlain in particular has pretty low turnover. We got some people that are experienced there, which is nice. And they, they tend to stay, yeah. which is good. We have some really dedicated folks there and just, just great people. And of course with dedication comes experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, uh, I saw this chart the other day and it was talking about, it was kind of like a, a graph chart or yeah. I, I, my, again, we talked about Corey Thompson earlier, he'd be yelling at me, but like the X, Y axis kind of thing. And it was the yeah. idea of like time versus uh, wisdom. <clears throat> and it said when you're younger, your wisdom's lower, but your ability to like basically take risks or do dumb stuff is high. Yeah. And then, you know, as you, cause your wisdom's not that high. And then eventually it kind of goes the opposite way where you, you gain more wisdom. Therefore the dumb mistakes, you don't have to make those mistakes uh-huh. anymore. Cause you just like, I just know not to do that, and I don't have to stub my toe or waste my time trying to figure it out because I already figured it out right. in my lifetime. So it's kind of, and again, I, I'm, I would say I'm a still, I still feel very young. But if I compared myself to what I was ten years ago, I've oh, learned yeah. so much stuff where I'm like, I would never do this stuff I did when I was twenty. And Caleb, I don't, what are you about? Twenty, twenty-one? No, I'm only eighteen. Eighteen? Jeez. I'm yeah, girl, he's okay. eighteen. Well, again, so so word of wisdom from me and your dad will probably be even better. Um, sometimes people don't listen to their parents, but he's he's going to give me more wisdom. I'll give you is that you do learn a lot of stuff. You know, from the time you're 18, your brain doesn't stop developing. I think till 25 or something like that. Yeah. And uh, it's it's crazy when you finally feel like you start making choices and decisions, and you start thinking things a little more rational than you did it. Because you might be. 18, you can have you can be mature above your age kind of thing, but you still lack the wisdom you're going to gain over the next decades. Oh, I've made a lot of mistakes and huge. I mean, I, like anybody else, you look back and say, I wish I could have done things different, mm-hmm. but I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, and the key is not to make them again and again, and that's the whole key. And I look at Caleb and offer some advice sometime, and, of course, he knows more than I do right now, which is kind of neat, but uh, it's a little little dig at him, but I don't mean <laughs> to. Very, you know, we're very proud of him, and he goes to Paul Smith and has that opportunity to go up there and, experience that which i wish i would have done at his age you know and i took the hard road when it came to education and kind of did it you know uh, as i as i you know thanks to opportunities that you know she went to clinton and then canton went to clinton first which i think clinton is is a really good local resource you Mm -hmm. know it's it's really good just to get the basics down anyway and and then i went to canton actually did all my canton stuff online as as i was working how how old were you when you got that degree Oh my God, probably like 30. Okay, 31. so you were, all right. Yeah, I was an adult student and, you know, I'd work all, all my hours during the day and be up to like one or two o'clock in the morning working stuff online. Of course, online, when I first got out in 88, when I first graduated, <laughs> that wasn't available, right? Yeah, you had yeah. to go to school and it was, the education world has changed so much. And, and again, we're just lucky to have all these local resources. So, Caleb, um, what do you, get on the mic here. We'll, we'll get you involved. What, what are you, what's your major? Uh, disaster management and response. 
Okay, so similar to well, you were emergency management. Yeah, same Sa- thing. Similar, similar. Yeah. And now, so, yeah. Now, kind of expand on that. What is that? So originally, I was environmental science, and then once I got to Paul Smith, kind of explored a little bit um, with the classes and what your gen eds and what's going to lead into, like maybe with your third or fourth year. Um, disaster management and response kind of integrates uh, chain of command. So those are your basic like when you start your first couple of years, you'll learn about chain of command, getting into um, you know FEMA. And how they run their structural um, kind of chain again, SOPs and SOGs. So when you say disaster, you're talking like natural disasters. Or I just... mean, it can expand to um, yeah, you can go small scale disasters to I mean, Red Cross kind of involves in that too, the large scale multi agency. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of where it it kind of it kind of branches out. Where do you want to go into the logistics side of it, um, or do you want to go into kind of like the on scene work with the so it would typically be something where you need, I'm going to use FEMA or the Red Cross, like where that's, I would say most of the time deal with like natural disasters or flooding or, yeah. or, or are you talking like, like economic financial disasters? Is that part of it too? Or is there? No, it's more of, it's more of the natural disasters. Okay. Um, it can, it can branch off into multiple kind of areas. So you don't have to stick with the large disaster. You don't have to go down to like Florida or you don't have to go to these places where you've just had a big flood or you can also stick like up here. We've had, you know, small scale disasters. My father can probably help me on a couple of them, but, um, well, ice storm, ice storm. Hit, yeah. was that 25 years this year? 22, 20, 20 something years something ago. Like yeah. yeah. I tried to block it 98. out. <laughs> 98. Yeah. But even then that's, that's, um, that's a great example of, you know, you don't have to go far to use that, that kind of area. Um, one, one goal that I'm going for is to be a forest ranger. So, all they require is, you know, you have a certain amount of credits in environmental science, but that kind of degree is awesome for, you know, we have a lot of wildfires. Um, the one that I can remember is, I just did a project on it, is in 2018, there was a wildfire in Altona on the Flat Rock, mm-hmm. um, just stemming from, I believe, a campfire. That involved um, multiple agencies from Quebec and from Vermont, too. And not only our county, I know Paul Smith even went there, and that's an hour and a half drive. So um, you can find, like to use that major around this area and i find that's why i found it so cool and i can integrate you know the um the credit hours that i've already put in before college into that uh degree and um i have that drive from from what he's done for over 35 years well you take like so logistically meaning like try to get the emergency services in and trying to figure out the china chain of commands of who comes because i know and and we'll, we'll get into the emt but i know there's like you know, I say call it first call, but then you have backup, and then you have backup, and you have yeah. backup for their, their station. Like it should, because we a, a good thing is we work with obviously like Vermont, and then you work with Canada. So yeah. like it's not uncommon to see Cole or Hemingford come through no. the border, no. or or I'm assuming vice versa. Vice versa, yeah. and then uh, or Albert coming over, or Swanton, or whatever it might be to come over and, and relief. You know, yeah, we have in our in our mutual aid system in Clinton County, we have four Canadian departments and two Vermont departments, and. And as a deputy coordinator in my battalion, what they call battalion area, uh, that I have an area like uh, the other deputy coordinators do for Clinton County Emergency Services. But so those four Canadian departments and the two Vermont departments are in my my areas of responsibility, so to speak. So, so, so you're coordinating the county for the most part. Or? Coordinating that battalion, that area. Eric wow, Day, okay. who is our uh, director of emergency services, is the ultimate uh, coordinator, uh, fire coordinator, but. Emergency Services Director actually is his title and just a great guy and we're lucky to have him just a wealth of information and I, I uh, we, were, we were um talking before I mean I know Corey Thompson's big with the EMT yeah. and um 
you know, and I, I look at, and obviously, I mean, like we said before, it, Alice, who just passed, you know, yeah. and she was very instrumental in a lot of, you know, um, I, I think the one thing that I look at with EMT in the fire department is very, very, very close-knit individual or a group of individuals. Right. Um, and I don't think I've ever heard anybody say something bad about another EMT or firefighter. Typically, it's like anything. Just if I asked you a question, you talked about, I'm like, great person, great person. I think, is do you find... Now, you guys are, are both in it, right? Because you're... Yeah, we were both in EMS. EMS. So, yeah. being part of that, I mean, is the kind of the cohesiveness of that group, or, and obviously branches out to other stations, is that just something that, like I said, is just kind of a bond that's tough it's to It's kind of like a brother-sister type thing. I mean, sometimes it does... Sometimes you can get frustrated with your brother or sister. If you have a brother or sister, you don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, for the most part, when, when the chips are down, everybody's there for each other, whether it be... <clears throat> within your own department both caleb and i are part of the champlain fire department and we're both part of uh champlain ems because we had to separate just due to uh, the current law doesn't allow fire departments to bill so um, we separated that agency and made champlain moore's ems so you see more collaboration if you will especially on the ems side because many towns just don't have the ems volunteers so now we're turning into more of a paid environment to where you can, but in order to pay people, you have to make some type of income, right? Yeah. Just like you guys, you can't sell a house for free. So, in our case, we have to we have to charge, you know, for that service. And the calls are actually when we first started. You so know, the, you, you sorry, you would bill people for like they call it EMT for hospital or yeah for, for transport just something. for transports okay. yeah. So there's different levels, primarily two different levels like basic life support and advanced life support. Um, that we bill for different rates, if you will. And for the most part, I think like 95% of the time, the insurance company, uh, your personal insurance will cover that that service, if you will. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the insurance companies like it when the volunteers do it for free because, you know, that's... But those days are rapidly uh, going away. <laughs> Is there... Do you have um, staff at at uh, Champlain Moore's EMS? Yeah, we have... Uh, actually, during the day, we have... Uh, uh, a BLS and an ALS provider at Champlain at the Champlain station, and at the Moore's uh, EMS station on on Route 11, mm-hmm. and that's great. It's, it's a it's, so for the volunteers such as Caleb and myself. Well, Caleb's going to school, but you know if I'm working today, obviously I can't go on a two hour, two and a half hour EMS call. So it's having that reassurance that somebody's there. And actually, we've expanded those hours into the nighttime hours, and I think eventually you're going to see it. We always have somebody on 24 seven. Uh, in terms of a uh, at least on provider, call. at least on call. And there's always people on call, but there's actually people at the Champlain station 24-7. Moore's is, is staffed primarily during the day. And, of course, these people are these people are doing great things. I mean, I get, and that's another avenue, too, where you get some, meet some awesome people because we're hiring people not just in the town but outside of the town. And they could be, a lot of them work for Morrisville EMS, for an example, or Osable EMS, or... Line Mountain EMS, Danamora EMS. They'll drive up and station there? Yeah, they'll drive up and, you know, so they're working at, or they may be working at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of the uh, providers that we've had just go on to become nurses and, and take other uh, uh, fields, if you will, in the healthcare industry and, and, you know, they'll take, they'll bring it to the next level. <clears throat> Most recently, some of our advanced providers took, uh, took it upon themselves to do a paramedic course. And now they're New York State paramedics, which is phenomenal. So what would happen if someone calls 911 
if it's in your region that automatically gets dispatched or gets routed to Champlain EMS? Yeah. So if someone calls them and one it goes through the uh, Clinton County um, dispatch line, over here. Dispatch over here. Yep. Located on the what well, I call the new base on yeah. Plasper. I know uh, Mike Cross very well. So Mike Cross. Mike's, Mike's a good dispatcher. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Mike Cross and he's a good guy. Yeah, great guy. We got some awesome dispatchers. I used to actually be a dispatcher when I was working part time at Wyeth, and uh, got to implement with. Uh, Jim King and all these other folks. I worked for Jim King at the time. This is before Eric came along. I uh, got to implement, you know, like advanced uh, EMD, which is emergency medical dispatching. Mm-hmm. But so the call goes through it, through the CAD system, computer-aided uh, dispatching, and through a whole series of past work, we'll call it, it, it gets routed. So if you call from your residence or even your cell phone now, they can pinpoint your location, find an address, and they'll know through a combination of combination of technology and experience what agency to send where and if that agency is not available they'll send another agency what's uh because you guys are on call what's so phone rings 911 yeah from the time it goes to 911 to the time someone's on the ground what's rough and obviously this depends on where you're traveling but you know what's the time frame of the response time our i'll use champlain for an example our the average response time in champlain in that area is is three minutes out so in other words wow. Yeah, dispatch. So from the time the call comes in, this is average time. Now, this is going by what Corey tells us, right? Being a math teacher, he's got to have his numbers, right? So <laughs> It's got to be under 10 at it's least. It's got to right? be under it's 10, finished. yeah. <laughs> it's a 10. But no, uh, Corey just mentioned it the other day that, uh, you know, our average response time for Champlain EMS, and I think it's probably less than that for more so, even or about the same, is less than three minutes. Well, that's pretty good. So, so that means leaving the station? Or leave, does that mean? From the time the call comes in to the time the ambulance is on the road. Wow. Response okay. time. It's three minutes. Now, sorry, when you say volunteer, does that mean you're at your house, call comes in, you're heading just straight to the house? Sometimes we'll head to the scene. Sometimes we'll go to the station. Depends on where you live. We have volunteers that live all over the place. In a case such as Morrisville EMS, they have, much like Champlain, uh, their combination, they're primarily uh, paid personnel but they also have volunteers too so it's a combination of both so when people are so are there people always at the station ready to leave yes okay so that's the ems stations yeah okay so three minutes so do you volunteer to go sit at the station or is that mostly on call i i don't as much anymore because i i'm you know i like being home and doing my stuff at home and of course as you know when you own a house there's always something to do right yeah you know the real, real the realtor tells you it's going to be great, but at the end of the day, oh, there's, there's always a, something to do. So always, yep. uh, as I get older, I found when I was growing up though, when I was Caleb's age, I lived at the fire station. I mean, absolutely lived there. Of course, I didn't have a house or all these responsibilities now that I have to worry about. But yeah. I, so I see him doing the same thing. I get frustrated too because. Uh, you know, I see him hanging out at the EMS station and hanging out at the fire station and doing, but he's doing some great. He's just doing some awesome things. That the 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 key I think that I I find it amazing is that when I was growing up, I always wanted to join and be, you know, be with the guys and, and the girls in the fire station. But mm-hmm. I had to wait till I was 18. And back then in 1987 or 88, we, I had to wait. There was a little, there was a waiting list. And now there's no waiting list. And not only that, Caleb got to join when he was 16 because we have a junior program, both on the EMS side and the fire side. And, and I keep telling them, I said, you don't know how lucky you are to have those two years, you know? So, so I was going to say, you probably learned quite a bit in the last two years. Yeah. So branching back to what you said earlier about the maturity thing, um, I think that anybody that's around 16 or 17 in your district, if your fire department or your EMS agency offers that, that luxury to have a junior program or join it and kind of learn, 
I think that's amazing. Um, I recently just took the um, exterior and interior fire class through Clinton County, which will also branch into my uh, college, which I didn't know at first. Um, it gives me six college credits to be oh, able nice. to be transferred in, nice. and the and the county um, and the district pays for it. So at 18, I've made these accomplishments that 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 most people don't have, and um, you kind of earn like a self-respect for your community. Mm-hmm. I know people like to, uh, when they get my age and get out of high school, they like to leave. Some people like don't like to stay in your hometown, but um, I actually found it very hard to leave because, you know, we've made these connections. He's, met, he's introduced me to people that, you know, you would never see. Um, so I think that you kind of, when you join an EMS or fire agency, you, you earn that great respect and you kind of you kind of learn, learn a lot of things that you probably wouldn't know if you were even 25 or 26. Um, and I've expanded that to Paul Smith's now too. So I think it's a great resource to have. So while you were in school, you were going off on calls at, at night or off hours. Yeah. So, uh, so up it was Paul normal. Smith's. Up at Paul Smith's, you do. Uh, you, you they have an option to join the. the but even program. at Northeastern. Yes. So you do the same thing. Um, Northeastern. So when you do join a junior agency, um, depending depending on the bylaws or um, the rules, more of the rules. Yeah. If you don't if you don't really get the thing, they make a set of rules where you have to follow and one of the ones was you can't leave school which i 100 percent understand oh but like after school yes yeah. anytime okay. evenings between, and yeah between between um like some ours was nine o'clock after nine o'clock you can't respond on a school night okay um but if you're you know on a weekend and a call comes out and hey i want to go to this all right so you kind of just hop in the car and so you're go eager to, to go oh yeah yeah, yeah he's yeah. eager yeah yeah um so what so i'm gonna ask you because um being second or third generation second 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 generation um why did you get into it um i don't i really it's gonna sound bad but i don't think it was really a choice to whether i wanted to or not (laughs) um i um cory i often talk about cory and uh, a great man i grew up he was there the day i was born so you know, Corey used to come down to the house and, you know, him, my, my father and my mother used to leave for the call and Corey would watch me on the porch and, and, uh, you just kind of grow up around it. I used to love, you know, going to fires when I was small and just sitting in the truck and being able to sit there for four or five hours and just watch. It was something that most people don't do, but I found fascinating. So growing up around it was kind of the, the head point to why I joined. So most kids turning 16 want to get their license. You wanted to join the EMS? That was the first thing I did was filled yeah. out. I was I had the application filled out a week ahead for uh, fire department, and then once you turn seventeen for our agency at least, um, you can become uh, you can join the EMS squad. So now being a little over two years involved, what's your favorite thing so far about it? Um, just the fact that I can still grow into it. Uh, I'm a little scared the fact that you can get to a high point and then you can go anything below, but. I'm still learning. So um, being able to experience this where, you know, I have the time off from college sometimes, but also integrating my studies with it, it's it's absolutely amazing. It's fun to have those experiences. I'm having a great time home. Um, so I think that it's one of the most rewarding things that I've ever done. I, I always, I look at something when you, when you talk about like hitting a certain ceiling at certain points, like, you know, whether it be climbing a ladder or whatever, I think... You never stop. If you're, if you're, I think you should never stop learning. This is anything. So I think at a certain point, if you start doing it and you're like, you might know everything you need to know in a year from now, like it, from the day-to-day standpoint. But then what happens is if you're really eager about it, I, I find your brain starts going layers and layers deep into the field. And then you start finding 
things that you could improve on or you start finding ways to maximize efficiency with everything and then next thing you know like you could in theory take whatever you guys know now is common and you could flip it on its head and all of a sudden like wow that we never came up with that like very innovative within that field yeah it's, it's true it's like kale was kind of re-inspired me i mean not that i was uninspired or anything of that nature but seeing him go through especially the firefighter one class we went through a thing called essentials of firemanship which were which was good it was great training at the time but it was at the time and now i i see what he's gone through over the last year to get his what they call a firefighter one status and and now the uh, clinton county has the uh, fire training tower for an example on on the base next to the emergency services building some awesome instructors we have great instructors uh in this area in this county um but it was a tough class for him. It, it was how many weeks long? It was. Uh... Um, it was five months. So wow, your man. your BFO starts off just just exterior. You can do three months of BFO, and then uh, depending on if your health is good enough or if you want to continue, you can go to your two month IFO class. That's where you get into the fun stuff, as Nick Payne calls it, um, one of the instructors that uh, was leading the class. The the thing is with you talked about the old times is when we first started the class. Uh, in the IFO part, interior was kind of downplayed. All you needed was what he said, what he said, a heartbeat. And that's true. Mm -hmm. Now you've got all these, I'm sure you can jump in on this, dad. You kind of got all these innovations that are, and the regulations are insane now with, you know, OSHA, um, that regulates some of that FEMA. But I think that taking the class gives you, it opens up to a, a wide variety of opportunities, um, whether that's branching in if you want to go to the academy for paid fire department, if you want to work for Plattsburgh City, or you want to just stay volunteer, you have that option now. Um, but yeah, that's that's. Kind you of got to work with some good people around the, uh, the county that he really got to be close with. Of course, you, when you spend five or six months, two nights a week, you know, working with somebody or working with a group of people, so we got some really good, talented young firefighters out there and emergency people out there. What's well, so, I mean, kind of. My business and in your business too, it's just relationships and knowing people knowing and kind people. of learning from people. And I think that yeah. that's, the more you can do that, that was something that it, you kind of go back and say like, what could I have done better when you're younger? I think one of the was getting more involved quicker. Um, yeah. And it took me a while to start getting involved and really going out and meeting people. And then once you meet people, then it's, that's what I have fun with the podcast because you bring people on whether you know them or not, but then you get to pick their brain. And, and there's a lot of, I think the one thing I've learned now through 178 episodes there's a lot of talented people around here, but everybody's different, but everybody's very similar in certain ways, yeah. but they have their own spin on stuff and then kind of hear perspectives and hear ways that I can look at and make, I'm, I make a lot of connections amongst, you know, people and amongst individuals. And I think one of the, one of the things that I love that you just said before is not like, again, I, and this is not right for everybody, but moving away. I grew up in Jay-Z, went to Plattsburgh State and I live in Morrisonville now. So if I had to really package everything at no point in my life did I ever want to move away and I think one of the things I always like seeing is when and I think there's a benefit to going away I think there's a benefit to going out and learning and, and yeah. experiencing and I, I don't downplay that and I think but I always get really excited when people decide to come back to the area me too yeah because I think that one of the things that I've I've thought about a long time and I and I know this is a lot of people have had the same ideas that you're going to learn a lot in life and you're going to learn a lot. And Chris, you're still learning stuff and I'm still oh, learning stuff day. and everybody's learning stuff. But I look at like, you could go and bring kind of, I use a LeBron James quote to take your talents to South beach. You could take your talents or whatever you learned to some other part of the country, 
But then I always look at why can't you just keep them here and help improve the area? Yeah. And I think there's a lot of good people that if they recognize all the benefits and all the opportunities and, and I think that it's, you know, the, the one thing I like about the North Country is I do attribute us a little bit of kind of like a, a Rocky Balboa a little bit yeah. that you're not, you go to some of these places that are well established. I kind of like being the underdog in certain spots and I kind of like having the, you know, the uphill climb and trying to really kind of grind and make something of, of the community. And this has been happening for decades and decades and decades of good people, you know, fighting the fight to keep improving the area. But I think the next generation, it's like take the baton and kind of run the next leg of the race and, and really try to expand Absolutely. on that. And that's, that's something that, and, I'm, and Chris, I'm sure yeah. you can allude to this having been in the, you know, the community for years that or decades that you could attribute that. Yeah. I mean, I've obviously been very involved in the community functions and, and not just, you know, on the fire or emergency services side, but just, you know, the, quadricentennial for you know different you know in the town of champlain just doing different stuff around the town knights of columbus i mean enjoy being part of the enjoy being part of the the whole um just the community you know i think that's a big part of it and never it, it really struck me i think in the last three years since uh i was on the chamber board and again just recently i uh, just got off the board i did my term but i'm sad to see it going away because really really got to meet some good people and really got and I thought I thought I knew the North Country really well, but that opened up a whole new uh, experience for me, and, and just seeing and, and understanding some of our people and, and some of the businesses that and what they've gone through to get where they are today, um, and just you know, and just looking at the talent that we have in this area, um, and and seeing what the impact like the border has. Of course, growing up in Champlain, the border. I miss the days where we could cross the border freely and hopefully those days will come back mm -hmm. again. But, um, you know, and I have, like many of us, we can trace our roots back to, uh, Eastern townships of Canada and things of that nature. So, uh, and, and having, I do miss my Canadian friends and, and, uh, both on the fire service side and just my golfing buddies and all that kind of How stuff. How does that happen with the fire? Are you guys able to pat when everything was yeah. so down? We're still considered essential. Okay, so you could pass all throughout and right. they could come down. It's and what okay. yeah, what we're finding though too is that like the four I mentioned four of the fire departments on the on the Canadian side, Hemingford for the most part is pretty good. They'll come down. Uh Saint Bernard will come down and and, and currently we can go up there uh, as we're essential. However, um we do have a couple of departments, uh Lacole and Saint Paul who their municipalities they're not saying they can come down but it they're really putting a restriction on them because they are quite concerned about, you know, the spread of COVID-19 and now the variant. So they're not saying they can't, but it, it's just changed. You can tell it's changed a lot. And I'm hoping that God, I hope someday we'll be out of this mess. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, yeah, I think, I think the, the free flowing and, and, you know, you don't, again, having been a little bit more, um, in tune to what's going again, as you get older, yeah. you get more involved. And I find, I was kind of joking. I was telling my wife the other day, we're sitting there watching the news where my 20s, I never watched the news. Yeah, right. But now in my 30s, like you've got the kids, i got young kids, so the kids are doing stuff and you're like, the news is on and you're just watching it and you're watching yeah. the stories and you're watching. But uh, if I'm being more involved, you start realizing how important Canada is. Besides, like when I was a kid, it's like going up to the baseball games and going right. up to shows and concerts and going up to eat or something. But then you realize how much actual business to business is done yeah. all the time over the border every day and it's uh, amazing and i think it's um i mean one of the most passed through borders in canada i mean i think probably the one yeah. down by um 
Niagara's might be a little more. Yeah, I think we're about the third largest or third or fourth largest land port, commercial land port too, and and uh, the commercial side. Yeah. Luckily, our commercial uh, business, you know, they, they kept the commercials been pretty good for the most part. I hope they don't restrict us on that part of it. But again, just across the border. I mean, obviously, if you look at me, I like to eat. I like to eat well, and uh, I miss going to just having a place to go up. And when you live along the border, as close as Caleb and I do, I mean, we. Well, he's at Paul Smith right now, but as being so close to the border, we can see it from our house. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, just to go, yeah, just to go up to Hemingford or you know for a bite to eat or Wits End or something. Wits End, yeah, yeah, go up to Wits End or yeah. or up to Montreal or, or just to have that. I, I truly do miss it. Or going to Club Two Thousand and play some golf. Yeah, you know, and, I haven't played that course in many years. Yeah. How often do you get up there, or where are you getting up there? Uh, Caleb and I used to go up, used to uh, go up. Yeah. quite a bit uh, when he was. Learning how to golf, that's one of the regrets I have is that I didn't start golfing earlier, yeah. but Caleb started in, uh, at his Northeastern uh, Golf Club team and just learned some great skills and, and learned the adequate etiquette behind golfing, and he taught me some stuff, too. I wish I would have started when I was is, his age. Matt's still coaching for that? Yes. Yeah, yeah Matt's a great guy, great too. Great guy, awesome, awesome coach. He was, uh, when I, so when I started playing golf, I started as a 10-year-old, and I played a ton for about a decade. Yeah, and then between work and school and kids, I took I'd say close to seven to eight years just off. Yeah, and it's been this is last season was my second season back in, and I could see myself getting the bug again. Yeah, because it, it's one of those I, like we talk about learning. I like to learn, but I like to challenge myself, and I like to pick goals that are really unobtainable. And you're never going to master golf. You're never going to master. So golf. it's kind of one where you could sit there and just like slam your head against you know whatever playing it, and it's and. But it's the game that you can kind of you can see improvement, and then it's yeah. So I find that there's there's a lot of nuances with golf and life, and I, I I've just always loved golf. But the, here you play like growing up playing it like that's it's such a I think every kid should learn to play golf. I can at remember the first time I played. I was I was uh, I got into actually the chamber tournament, and I was working at uh, Wyeth at the time, and and uh, asked to play on the team, and I I just dreaded it for weeks i mean i got went out got a set of golf clubs and just practiced and i was horrible still am but i i just i didn't i did not want to be embarrassed in front of these guys you know and guys who i admired and i was number four to to tee off and on my team and thank god the first three guys they just shot him into the woods one went like one guy just missed it completely so after that i got into it and then caleb growing up caleb we actually uh started playing that harmony out of all places that's where Caleb and I learned how to be hackers, if you will. And but what a great golf course! And the fellow that owns it, um, Fuller. Yeah, it's Stephen Fuller Steve, yeah. had just taken over at the time, and uh, really took Caleb under his wing. And it just, but what a great place to go! You know, have a beer after two, and have a bite to eat. And just... So when, when I learned golf, my first couple times playing golf was up there when it was back in the Port Kent days. Yeah. And it was nine holes, I think, at the time. Nine holes. And you put money in an envelope. It was the honor system. Yeah. And you went out and played. And I remember the, these being these big mounds in the center of the fairway. And yeah. It was just it was kind of a – you look at it now, it was just like a little you know, old track. And it wasn't until recent when Harmony came up that I finally put two and two yeah. together. Like, oh, wow, this was the course that I played as a kid. As cause, a kid. Because I don't – again, if you – I would love to go, go back in time and see what that course looked like the first day I ever played golf. Because yeah. as a kid, you don't really – your memory doesn't – you know, you're just going out and hitting a golf ball. Right. And uh, 
and then adding the obviously the wedding or the event space and then adding the restaurant and adding all that had elevated it and then you're, you started to look at because back then they didn't have those four holes built no. so my guess it was probably just woods there before they probably woods. I mean that was before we you know I started playing there but we had a we, we've had some great times at that golf course and not so great times too. I mean, Caleb, when he was young, he get frustrated and oh yeah, yeah, you know, he get upset. It wasn't until people like you know Corey and and Matt Fredette and and when he really accelerated is when he got onto the Northeastern golf team. I mean that that just because they teach you so much more than just you know hitting the ball. It's so much about the etiquette. And he was correcting me. He's like, Dad, you know, you're not supposed to do this. You know, you're supposed to. Was uh was Dustin up there when you started? Yeah. So yeah, Dustin was the uh, pro. Yeah. Uh, now yeah. it's um, Andy. Yep, Andy. So we, uh, when I started too, Dustin was up there, and Dustin uh, Burgard. One of the, I mean, the one thing that I, I would give Dustin credit when I was a kid was Dustin and Matt were both very, um, they they were golf golf like they were true golfers, and they were the scent, but they they were respectful golfers, and they were yeah. like, listen, you're gonna learn the etiquette, you're gonna learn the basics, you're gonna learn, you know, all the stuff that even to this day I bring with me. But it's you just had good habits from the start, and. One of the things that I I've, I say every year when I play golf with everybody, and Dustin taught me this. Dustin, if I asked Dustin, he probably wouldn't remember him ever saying this to us. But he goes, anytime you fix a divot on the green, fix another one. Like yeah. fix yours yeah. and that's fix Matt, one. The same thing? Yeah, so you fix one yeah. and fix another one because people don't fix them. So it's like just do your part, do yours, but then grab the one next door, like 10 feet away that someone didn't grab because it's just taking care of the course. And I always like, yeah. you know, put your divot back and just take care of the course. And of course I believe in karma. So like take care of the course to make it a lucky bounce here and there, you know, cause I, God knows I need it. But yeah, we're seeing that Caleb used to make me fix my own divots, but and I made a lot of them. So North country golf club, where that's another, I mean, we're just lucky. We, we got a lot of great golf courses around here, mm-hmm. you know, both in the, well, how far is the North, North, uh, North country from your house? Probably five minutes. About five five minutes, minutes. Yeah. 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 Probably Andy's there. And I mean, just a great group of people that, we're lucky to have that in our town, you know. It's just an awesome place to play. Well, we uh, actually it's this tournament right here. We run this every year, and it's uh, it's a fun tournament. It's like a it's a it's a money maker that we do yeah. for um, ch- local children's organizations, and we've done it three years in a row. And this was the first year we actually expanded it to the the, oh, si- wow. the size that we want, which is twenty four players. But Andy, we moved it up to Northeastern, and Andy yeah. was fantastic. We had a great time. We had nothing but. Uh, positive, you know, from the players, and Andy was, you know, very welcoming, and they have just a great setup for there. We did the chamber golf tournament this year. Yeah, yep. Uh, at, at which uh, was packed. Which was packed, and we when we did it, and I think they're gonna, you know, I'm not on board anymore, but they're gonna move it around a little bit, or, or at okay. least put it out a bit anyway. And but Adirondack's a great place to go to, and all that kind of stuff. But I was pretty proud when last year when uh, we had it at at. Uh, it, well, having been to, I think they had it at Adirondack the last prior few years the, oh my god yeah the, since i or, played yeah so the one the one thing and not, nothing against adirondack but the one thing that was very well run is if you look at um north i keep saying northeastern north country north country yeah you just with the deck with the bar with the vent space like i mean there's just a lot of it's nice to go in and have a yeah. place that it's welcoming and that you can kind of go in and just feel um it's just an easy in and out. It you, is. You, like you walk into the clubhouse, like the club shop, pro shop, but then you walk by everybody and it's just everybody's central right there. And I think that um, I just thought it was a fun event. I mean, it's always a fun event, but I think, of course, maybe it's nostalgia too because that's where I grew up playing. It was just yeah. kind of cool to see everybody go up north or come down, go up north to go see it. And, and I and think that's the big thing too is you look at these golf courses. There's so much history behind these golf courses. You, you, mm-hmm. To see, on a, you know, speaking on a business side, to see, to see how these folks have developed both uh, North Country Golf Club and, and, of course, like everybody else, are struggling. 
Um, but Harmony, we just spoke about Harmony. Um, and, of course, Bluff Point has a huge amount of history behind it, not just as, you know, got, just as a golf course. I got a book over there, the 100-year anniversary. Yeah. Which actually only brought it up to 1990, which is funny because that's 30 years ago. 30 years ago, yeah. It doesn't seem that long ago, right? Well, it's funny when you look at the people in there, the names and, like, the pictures. Like, I know some of the people, like, personally now and to see them yeah. 30 years ago as, you know, young golfers, club champions and everything else. No trombolis in there. Not a lot of us trombolis in there, right? No, no, we didn't. Yeah. I don't think we had a – I don't know about you me, me and my my uh, my father were we weren't winning club championships but you have like uh like i know tom rayville and then yeah. mary fry has passed since but she was she was the reigning club champion when that was written and so wasn't tom rayville and, and i have to read that book i i, I have to flip it. through it before you leave yeah i'd like to see that there's That's a lot of cool. well they talk like the, the um some of just the ways that bluff was cut yeah. Some of the holes were a little bit different, and uh, the guy that designed it, A.W. A.W. Tillinghast, designed Bethpage Black, and they started talking about oh, how really? some of the uh, – he was very big on putting bunkers out. So that's why you look at Bluff. They have a few bunkers, like greenside bunkers, that are really 30, 40 yards away. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of an iconic style of him, and they had a book about Ken Ventura coming up and playing kind of an exhibition up here, and it was just kind of neat to see um, – and obviously you've heard, like, Presidents had played it, Babe Ruth played Babe it. Babe Ruth, and, yeah, know, I heard that, and just – I think that's, a, you know, obviously we're not going to meet any probably legends like that anytime soon, but that's the great thing with golf, too, is that one thing I've always admired, you get to meet great people and, uh-huh. you know, work with, you get to really, it's a good, you get to be, you get to collaborate with a lot of people, get to meet some good people. and Well, I think, golf, well, I think the one thing about golf that is so true is that you really find out a person by playing golf with them because yeah. it challenges the person, but it, you know, allows... It, it, you play with somebody. It takes four four plus hours to play a round of golf. Typically, like if you go out with the four four people and just play a normal round, yeah. it's probably four four and a half hours. And to sit there and see them at their best when they hit a good shot, to see them at their worst when they like blow up on a hole, to see them in between <laughs> holes, to see them like how they conduct themselves. You you find that you really start to understand people. And we talk like business. Like some of my best relationships that I forge with people that are in business now, it's like they're my golf buddies, and yeah, you know, and they're they're I would deem very good high achieving people uh locally and to go play with them on the golf course and see another side but then also a similar side and kind of put the nuances together andy lamonto works over here and i play golf almost weekly with him in the summer and you know andy's very good at what he does but then i can go bust his balls on the golf course and it's like we have a good you know there's always the the fun level of that too where you You take a guy like Corey thompson he's he's pretty serious guy when it comes to golf he gets you know he gets in that zone and he likes to have fun, but he also gets into that. I, and he's a numbers guy, so he's always calculating, right? He's, he's always yeah. Well, I always uh, I always rag on Cor- uh, Corey because I think I never played on the golf team because I played baseball as a kid. Yeah. Uh, but he was the the golf club coach or whatever back in the day, and a lot of my friends because he's we had a big wave of like kids around my age that started to play golf, so it was kind of the. I think it was enough peer pressure to try to get that to go like amongst the school yeah. and Corey naturally was a young guy at the time and was like like golf and it's like yeah I'll go up and do it and you know I still have buddies to this day that would just you know bust on Corey because you know just as we all do you know and and uh so I always you know laugh when Corey's the golf coach because now knowing him you know back then and back now and and uh you know but he had he had an impact on bringing it at least to Shazy. I don't know if they still do it at all but um the only one of the only golf tournaments ever won too was with Corey, his uncle Don, Don, and uh, and uh, yeah. Dan, Danny, Danny Herman. Herman, yeah, and uh, we ended up winning. I, I think it might have been one of the Shazy hockey tournaments or something. And we played lights out, made the putts. We had the red tees at the time. Oh, he told me. About and we that. eagled almost every hole that we had a red tee on because yeah. we played them on the part fives. And 
it was because of the red tee, you only have one swing. So it's like, hopefully the guy swinging the red tee has a decent shot. And all four of us, when we had that red tee, just yeah. crushed drives. We're like, perfect. So it was... Uh, See, Caleb do that a lot, too. And I like the calculation. Like, if you know your course well enough, like many of the guys, Corey, Caleb, for example, uh, North Country, they, they know each hole. They, they can anticipate... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, each shot and everything. So that's really cool. And, and especially when you into a tournament, you, you talk about red tees. It's like, okay, you could tell the guys that go all the time and I'm not one of them, but they're like, we're going to use the red tees on this, this, we're going to, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And they have a, they have a calculated plan. But the thing with golf is it doesn't always go that way. No, that's, I, you know, well, one of the things this year when I was focusing on, it was like, and I was doing the math in my head. I'm like, why, why would it hit a driver off this hole? Like, if I hit a perfect driver, I hit a wedge in. But if yeah. I can hit, like, a hybrid that I know is going to be in play 80-plus percent of the time and have an 8-iron in or whatever, you know, just, like, simple math. Yeah. Like, because I'm not – I mean, to me, if I can get some – like, bogey golf for a lot of people is very good. So, I'm like, instead of killing myself and hitting three off the tee, just get it in play, hit it near the green, and then if I can get up and down great, if I don't, I still get a bogey. Yeah, and in theory, if you do that throughout the round, and it's so much easier said than done because you have that driver, you're like, man, I just I feel like just ripping this thing down and having like a. a I'm a lefty too, so Caleb's a righty, but I'm a lefty, so that makes it even more challenging. Depending on where you go, too. I mean, uh, I can go up. uh, You know, not a lot of people like to go to Altona, but once in a while we like to go up to Altona just because it's Mm -hmm. close by, and Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of left-handed holes. There's a couple, but not a lot of left-handed holes up there, right? So. Like I would argue, North Country is a very good lefty course. It is, yes. Almost every dog leg goes left at yeah. North Country, so it's kind of one just go up, open that thing up, and just hook it around the corner or slice it around the corner. Yeah. Where typically we're trying to hit like a, you're trying to close the face and have this hit the sharp hook, and you guys it's just a, let it rip. It's a funny sport because come October, November, whenever you give up, it's like okay, I'm done golfing. I'm, I'm I've had enough, but then. You just can't wait to get out. Like right now, I, I can't wait to get out there again. So well, the problem is right now you start seeing the pros come back out and they're yeah. playing like the Century Tournament next week's uh, Sony. And Sony, these... yeah, they make it look so easy too. <laughs> well, I, I guess this past week um, was it the four of the top five all-time lowest relative to par was this past week. Yeah, and I heard I, that. I, I, I didn't watch. It. I didn't watch anything, but my guess was knowing the course. Cause I know the course fair. Like I mean, having watched it fairly well, if there's no wind, which sounds like there wasn't much wind, right. I mean, it's literally just bomb drives because the fairways are wide open. And then just, I'm, I'm sure the greens were very receptive Yeah, and it was a par 73. So you start looking at some of these guys going out and just yeah. like dropping 61s. Like they're playing, you know, oh, man. which is a 68 so or 69. Yeah. I mean, you talk about um, bogey golf. Andy always preaches bogey golf um, for the high school team because what is it, 37 on the front for your par? I mean, 37, and then you have nine. It's only a four, 46 is pretty good for a high school tournament. Um, well, I mean, what, what's your number one and two guys shoot typically? Um, I mean, if I'm going, like, if you're talking about my high school. Yeah, go, yeah. Um, the lowest I ever got on the front was a 42. Okay. Um, I mean, you see new kids like like uh, a past alumni for two years now, Ben Lloyd. I mean, he's he, he shot. Oh, 30, yeah, I know Ben. 30, yeah. 39. Great golfer. Yeah, 39, 38. Golfer. I mean, that's that's what the level is now um you know you see a couple people from saranac are doing it now you were you were excited this past well last year he was like number three for a few weeks yep. anyway and he uh, was so excited matt yeah. Fredette's son is number two when i was number number three god i can't um, believe matt's kids are that and then he went to uh saranac lake and uh no where'd you go and it, it ruined it all uh, so sectionals oh, by saranac in yep sectionals yeah. with saranac in and, yeah. and i had always heard about how hard saranac in was and we yep. um Beautiful day. It was an awesome day. And the cutoff, uh, I remember um, Brian's kid, Jacob, was playing. 
And Jacob didn't have a good game. You can see when he came off the course, you can see his facial expressions. He shot a 99, and the cutoff was 99, and my score was 100. Um, to make sectional or make uh, states? Day, day two. Day, day two. two, and then day two would go to states. Oh, um, gotcha. Yep. And yeah, I had one, I was one away, and then uh, that's when I hugged Matt for that, and that was my last game at high school. And then yeah. what's what the funny part is now I play for Paul Smith's. Paul Smith's home course is staring that in. Oh, so really? So now I get yeah. to go back and play it for free, and I have to have fun. And Nice. I yeah. I played it once this year, and I I don't know. I shot – I broke 100, but – The hard course. I, I mean, the so those greens, like the greens are tough. And the thing is with the greens, because you're up in the mountains, like or you, any of the like plastic courses, everything breaks more. It doesn't always break the way you think it's going to break. They're fast, too. And, yeah, and they're fast, and it's a narrow course. And, you know, I, I remember getting up on the first hole, and – I hit it long in two, and I was kind of up by the cart path, and I think I walked away with a seven. Because I chipped on. I'm like, oh, that's an okay chip. Yeah. Hit, rolled right through down to the bunker. I'm like, oh, my God. Cause it's, just, it's just hard. It's, it's, it's fast. And- when you hear Saranac Inn, too, when I played for NCCS, I mean, okay, we're going to Saranac Inn. I went to, I, we laid down the bus 45 minutes later. I'm like, where are we? We're not even there. Yeah. Saranac Inn, people, you know, I never knew about it. It's up in Saranac Lake. I mean, that's, or, oh, it's, well, it's, Lake yeah. Clear, kind of. Yeah. But, I mean, you, that's, I mean, I never knew trip. about, yeah, I never knew about that yeah. course. And now to see it, it's, it's totally It's a long worth. trip back home, too, when you, if you, you had a well. bad day playing, right? Yeah. You know, well, at least. it's just like the casino. You have a long, long trip back if you didn't win anything. So <laughs> that's it. An hour and 45 minutes is worth it to think about your game. But I think that's, I think people should always get up there and try that course. It's a beautiful course. I love it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It, it's challenge. I played uh, that one. And, and, uh, have you played Westport? I played Westport. Uh, first time uh, played Westport was actually like two years ago. I finally got a chance to go there. What a beautiful spot. Yeah. Oh, just, and of course, Westport's a beautiful town anyway. But Well, the one, the one thing about Westport, nobody's ever up there. No. So typically when you go play, it feels like you're playing by yourself. It does. Like you might see a couple people, but it's not packed. It's not like you're waiting on tee boxes to hit. Yeah. And the front nine relative to the back nine is a totally different course yeah the back nine narrows down and all of a sudden it's like if you, you if you can escape with a decent score on the front you might have an opportunity as soon as you hit that 10th hole and it's that little narrow dog leg right with the yeah. trees up with that like out of bounds all right and it's like you yeah. know it just gets it gets nerve-wracking when on a couple of those holes. I, the last time i played there i couldn't wait to get off i'm like okay i'm 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 good for now but then again too i can't wait to go back and try it again right and yeah, you know, it's, it's like that's how you learn. Sometimes you don't always have to use a driver at Westport either. Sometimes, especially if you're a lefty, yeah, you got to make every shot count. So I was gonna say I hit a lot of hybrids, and I've yeah. even you know a couple times like it's not hard to hit a long like a long iron and, and you know put a long iron out there and have a second longer club in, but at least you know you're in play. And yeah. sometimes that's that's a smart decision. And, and I hate losing. I hate looking for balls now. As the order I get, I hate looking for balls in the woods. And that's why I use Kavanaugh Realty balls. You're, you're <laughs> guaranteed. Your you know what I mean? You're guaranteed. And most of them, I yeah. think, say, if found, return to Joey Trump. That's place, exactly so. right. You know, use somebody else's ball. You that, know, and I, yeah. I saw one time. So I, I don't get balls made personally because of that reason. Actually, I, I had a buddy, and it was so funny. He hands me this pack of golf balls before yeah. before the the uh, the round and golf with them quite often and way better golfer than I am so he gets he's like these golf balls are good they're they're cheaper golf balls but they're of high quality they're kind of like one of those like uh like they're, they're uh, called MG golf but it's like a oh. Snell or a Vice or something yeah. like that and um which is what I play I like playing Snell golf balls cuz they're you know they're much cheaper than but they're like they're made by the same guy that came up with the Pro V1 right. so the guy that founded it so 
um, he gives me these golf balls, and sure enough, they have our logo on them. So I'm like, okay, no these way. are these are cool. So I, I get them, and I go, I'm like, I'll play them today. So sure enough, I get on number nine at, at uh, Bluff Point, and I get a hole in one. My first and only really? hole in one in my life. I've oh. never seen a hole in one in my life, and I happened to get one. And uh, so it, it was just funny that that happened, and naturally um, they were with those golf balls. So I said, usually I don't want to play with them because I'm going to lose them, but that was that happened that's to work cool. out. Wow, nine that's holes cool. after also, you gave me the bag. It's also nice to play new courses too. I think also to get around, you know. Yeah, because like yeah, you got a chance to play uh, through Paul Smith. You got a chance oh. to play. Um, I called him one day. He was in New Hampshire. I mean, yeah, yeah. That's well. That's where our league is because it's it's small. Smaller schools have different leagues. You know, like Shazy has to play schools that are out of county. Mm-hmm. Um, we played in Peace uh, Golf Course and Loudon. Uh, oh, that weekend, right. and um, one of the best parts was we got to go to Kittery Trading Post, and being from a school that you know you got hunters that are they they put their guns in the armory there. Kittery Trading Post is like heaven to them. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah, no, it was it was a good learning experience. I think that uh, playing different courses, and I love North Country, I love it to death. But t- kind of getting around, and that's why I mentioned Harmony is is really cool to play. Like we went we went to Florida, and what you see with Florida, and you're seeing now up here too with Harmony is you have houses lining. Yep. So if you hit a bad shot, you might make someone angry, but. <laughs> I think yeah, I think like it's part Harmony, of the risk of building it. Yeah. We got a couple <laughs> friends that live on the golf course in Harmony, and uh, a couple people in particular that you know, one couple that we know very well, and it's nice to see what he's done there, and just and that would be. Uh, I always thought what it would what how nice that would be to live on a course like that, and it's just a nice. They got a really they have a community, you know. They have a yeah, not just a golfing community, but a true what, community. One of my uh, elementary teachers lives up there, and yeah. we were playing on the hole. Whatever the one that goes in, but backside of the house is yeah. on the front nine, front nine, two or three, something yeah, like that. Yeah, three or two or yeah. And I remember hitting in there, and he was doing yard work. And of course, I was playing with a couple high school buddies, so we yeah. talked to him for a bit, and he was right there, so he came out and was talking to us on the green, and um, no, it was fun, but. Um, Chris, I wanted to jump back in. Yeah. We'll go back to work real quick. Is um, Wyeth, when you were at Wyeth, because this is something I, th- I think you'll be give us a good perspective. I knew Wyeth as being a major you know, business back in the day. And obviously being from Chase Z, it was a lot of, a lot of uh, families, parents were employed there. Yeah. And uh, what, was, what was the number up to from employment numbers? Was it close to two grand? Oh, it was close to two. There was one time when I was working with the engineering group, um, we were looking for places to, we were running out of parking spaces. It was, at one time, of course, we were the largest employer, uh, with the hospital being second, and now, of course, the hospital's number one. There is no more Wyeth or Pfizer, but um, yeah, it was it was pushing two, it was up in the 2000, or and, just short of it, if I remember correctly. And how, because I remember, and I think, Again, I think this is part. Well, one half the not the entire building's down, right? There's a portion of it was yeah, thrown down. Yeah, there's a couple of buildings still at the High Bay Warehouse, which is I recall is like building 25 and 37. So there's still some businesses there's still up some in there. there, yeah. Um, because I remember well when Wyeth was at its peak, and I'm going to say this was probably early 2000s to 2005 to 10, somewhere in that range. I was a young kid, but I remember going for Ross's Point. Ross's Point, um, still a beautiful community, but oh, yeah. it was a very vibrant community up then up there because you obviously had that employer you had a lot of restaurants you had a lot of shops you had a lot of um, obviously people living up there and i think one of the you know seeing them completely leave and again seeing the the other wyeth and jay-z leave from near the minor farm mm-hmm. you know that's just one where like i saw families starting to leave and you start to see the numbers at the school decrease and i yeah. think a lot of it had to do with just the like again a whole family 
you know, husband, wife are employed there. Now they have to go, you know, move to Southern New York to a pharmacy or somewhere else. And they take their two, three kids out of the school. And we started to see some of that, you know, kind of as a time as I was leaving school and just after I'd left school. And um, how much do you think of an impact that was with that leaving? Well, I always equate it too. And I mean, when I was growing up, when I was Kale's age age or low, I remember I was 15 or 16 years old. All my family worked for like Sheridan Ironworks or Harris at the time. Mm -hmm. And that was devastating when that place goes. I was, I think there was like six or seven hundred people there. In fact, my grandfather at the time was the plant manager there. And uh, I when did when did Harris leave? Eighty six. Okay, so my dad worked there for a time. Yeah, he worked there for a time, and uh, and I I can remember a lot of my friends still around, but a lot of talented people worked there, and a lot of families. My family had six or seven generations that worked there. Um, the Gregoires had eight generations, I it, think. To that work. was on Elm Street. That was on Elm Street. Okay. Now known as uh, Kimpex, I believe, or uh, Susie, Susie, yeah. USA. And then uh, you know, fast forward a few years to Wyeth or Eris at the time. I think I started there in ninety ninety four, and uh, like anything else, again, a lot of talented people there. A lot of great history there too, with Eris uh, McKenna and Harrison. I was fascinated with history. I, I love history, and, and so I really embraced the history of the facility and how it grew and all that kind of good stuff. But it was a huge impact. Uh, I left before it closed, unfortunately, um, but it was it had a huge impact on the community. Not just not just Ross's point, but um, we used to have all the demographics. And I used to know all this stuff by heart. But you know, obviously, there's a lot of people that lived in Ross's Point um, that worked at Wyeth, Harris, or Pfizer, whatever you want to call it. Um, but then there was a, a good amount of people that worked that came from Colchester and Plattsburgh and Shazy, West Shazy, and, and of course I'm not including the the uh, the research side. Uh, that's looking in Shazy. Shazy, yeah. You know, I I forget the number that worked there, but there was quite a few people that worked there too as yeah. well. And but I think the thing is that I think the biggest impact is, and I worry about this with Caleb, is that I was lucky enough to work at one of these places and and have get that skill set and have those resources and make a decent wage. But they were also very big supporters of the community. You know, mm-hmm. I look at the United Way, uh, Pfizer, or excuse me, Air, uh, Wyeth at the time. Um, that's how I kind of got involved in some of the community service other than the, the emergency services. It's just we were big supporters of the uh, United Way and all the stuff that they did. Um, the local fire departments, they would support. I mean, just so much that they would support and they supported the people. And I think that's a big thing too, is when you got a big company and you support the people and, and, and that's why we, we don't have the volunteers anymore. Uh, the days of, you know, the days of the company, almost every town when I was growing up had some uh, one or two big companies, you know, of course, Wyeth and Sheridan or Harris being the biggest ones. But um, when you, when those people leave and you lose that populace, you lose a lot, you lose, you lose your community leaders mm-hmm. if they move. You lose your monetary resources. In the case of uh, Wyeth, you know, they were, I think they accounted for like 60% of the water and sewer uh, usage in the village of Ross's Point. You know, so who's going to pay that? Lose the tax base, too. Tax base. I mean, just so much. I mean, there's just more than losing people. You lose talent. And I think that's the hard part. Well, you lose generations, too. Generations. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad to see Caleb likes to. You know, he may not live in Champlain, New York when he gets done school, you know, but I'm sure he'll be around here. But like anything else, you know, he, he grew up with some, I think, some hopefully some good exposures. We like to we like to be out in the lake as much as we can during the summertime. 
he skis i don't i mean that's something he picked up probably on his mother from his mother uh, she likes to ski but he's a great skier you know and i wish i did because the winters can be kind of long around here if, you, if you're not into it right yeah. but he's not afraid to go out there and do some skiing and uh but so when these companies leave it's just it's it's hard and uh one thing that i've learned through the chamber and i go back to the last three years on the chamber just because i met so many great people is that um and i talk yeah, here gary douglas and I, I can vaguely remember some of this stuff when the airbase closed i mean when the airbase closed and left plastic it was devastating but then fast forward you look at what's going on on the new base and the old base with these businesses and and some of the i don't want to say we're better off without the airbase I, I would probably not go over very well but there's certainly uh we've certainly reutilized that property yeah my father for an example is looking at um you know potentially having a, uh, a house on the base or or doing some, that's his next move to move from shazy to to live on the, the new base what i call the new base mm -hmm. and there, there's some great just some awesome infrastructure on that base yeah i, I think um like i had gary on the podcast and of course i i'm yeah. just fascinated with everything that man says cause i think he's just there's so much knowledge and experience that he, he's been through but i think you know he's a big um one thing that he kept saying over and over again is he's just a love of strategy. He's a strategist. He, he just he loves like, like he's a you know I kind of allude to if you're playing the the board game Risk, you don't want to play against Gary Douglas because I could just see his mind turning yeah. and uh, or any of those games you know. And I think um, one of the things was the same thing was like okay how do we take this negative and what's the silver lining to make it a positive? And I think he recognized the one that you still have to use that space and then two it doesn't happen overnight. Like it's kind of like a small business. You have to spend years and we're talking 25 years at this point to get to where we're at now, I'm excited personally because I mean, seeing, I've only really, I guess, appreciated the last few years of it yeah. and I've seen it, but I've haven't, I was young, you know? So, I mean, I don't really have the context to put it into the sense of, you know, is this a big deal or not a big deal until you're actually, you know, paying taxes and going to work and dealing with other yeah. people and kind of being an adult. But you look at the amount of uh, strides has been happening over the last 25 years and then really kind of looking, okay, what's the next 25 years going to be, which for me will put me kind of in my mid to late fifties. Right. But then I look at that aspect of, well, that would be pretty cool if we can keep building off of this and have more companies and have it grow. And then hopefully you gotta have you know, a vision, right? You get, it's all about yeah. having a vision. I know Gary's got a pretty good vision and, and uh, sometimes I know, you know, we, we concentrate or he concentrates on the, on that Canadian factor that we talked about earlier, but it is such an important factor like i've never seen the border i've never i've never recognized the border as a border until just recently over the last two years because yeah, it's such a significant you know like the, now you really see that line in the sand like what i i think i always looked at it as being like a little regional thing because we're just yeah. like go to the like go over to canada it doesn't seem like and it doesn't we just grew up with it yeah but then until you realize the power of government national government that just says oh by the way we're shutting that down and you're like oh wait that decision was made you know thousand a mile thousand miles from us or ottawa or wherever it might be where they're just like we're closing it yeah. down and then at that point it does put it in like i mean we know it in the back of our mind but we always think that hey it's just this local region i know the person at the border i know this guy i know his family i know this gal and then you look at it yeah you just physically can't go across it for a time being and yeah. then and then it, but again like I feel like I know Montreal the same as if I went to Lake Blast. Absolutely, yeah. It's like I just Absolutely. know the streets, I know the people, I know the restaurants, I know the shops, I know like 
And it doesn't seem any. It doesn't seem like. And then when that's city. taken away from you too, that's what, like I used to like going. To, we we go to a few of the Canadians games, Montreal yeah, Canadians games, you yeah. know. And 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 we had some Caleb, especially had some good experiences. Uh, whether they win or lose, it was just yeah, just to be atmosphere. there, you know. And I just saw a document documentary on uh, what they call the AC. I think it is. It's a it's a short, twenty five minute film on when they built a St. Lawrence Seaway. Okay. And uh, if you ever get a chance to watch that, it's what's just, that on? It's on uh, it's on YouTube, you know, and it, it's I mean, on the St. Lawrence. Uh, I'll it share with you. It's the Ace, the AC, I think it is. They call it, and it's like a film built, or uh, actually, it was uh, narrated by uh, Walter Cronkite out of all oh, people, really? <laughs> and it talks about when they were building the St. Lawrence Seaway, how important that that seaway was, and and how that, and I mean, for example, they had to move a whole town, a whole town got flooded, or two or three towns actually. Were flooded and they to, just to make way for the seaway but they so, said so that was man-made it was all man-made okay. i mean most of it was man-made because they're finding like you know talks about the lachine rapids and, mm-hmm. and some of the, the the things that they got into and and they said you know i can and they show this meeting where it says yeah engineering wise it can be done but it'll never happen just it's so cost prohibitive and it's you know the cost and and this is back in the 50s but you know what they built two hydro dams out of it and they built obviously the commerce going back and forth it didn't cost i mean it, it paid it's already paid for itself didn't they just uh rebuild the champlain bridge up there yeah they just rebuilt the champlain bridge i only went over it like twice before they closed i was the gonna down. say because i remember it being built and it doesn't seem that long ago no. but it would have been two three four years ago now when they're building it i i guess east north northeast of the, north, yeah. the, the current one north yeah um so, I mean, I remember going over that, you know, plenty of times and, you know, to see that one. And every time I drove over, it was, to me, it was fascinating just it to is. see how a bridge was built. Because, I, like, it's... I wish I could stop. Like, I always wanted to stop and just look observe. at it. But you can't stop. I mean, you're on no. the old Champlain Bridge. You, you, you stop, you're going to get... Well, it's like when they build skyscrapers. I'm just yeah. fascinated how they build skyscrapers. But I know there's, like, claw systems and cranes. Yeah. And I'm like, it just... It blows my mind. Like, if you're in New York City building this 100 you know story building yeah. and having a way to get the stuff up there where it's not falling down and i'm like it just blows my mind what like the engineering feats at and of course a lot of this you could probably watch a youtube video on how it's done but like you always scratch your head like how well even like the bridge ross point i was i was 16 17 years old that was under construction and and i can remember the old swing bridge you know and going through there with the boat and having that the bridge swing open and you and i can yeah remember. so what was there before it was like it was like uh, well before the bridge that's there now. Yeah. Yeah, it was like a two lane uh, swing bridge. So every time a sailboat went through, that thing would swing open. And I can remember as a kid just watching that thing just turn. I would pray for God for a bolt to come through just so I could watch it turn. It was cool. So was it pretty low to the ground then the bridge? Yeah, it was compared to the one now. It was pretty low to the ground. I didn't think about it. Sure, it was really low it, to the ground. Well, you look at like. And you take it for granted because you just drive over it. You don't even think right. twice about it. But like that one, and then when they, had, they built the one down in um, the new, the new one down in Crown Point. Crown Point. Um, and, and it's just cool to watch like the sea yeah. bridges and just I, I don't I don't know what the fascination with bridges are, but you know, we were down in New York City a couple of weeks ago and we drove over to George Washington and just to see, I mean that's one it's beautiful because it's right over the Hudson yeah, and sure it's kind of weird you see the you see the hillside and you look and you actually see you know Manhattan and. Um, just like the infrastructure to build it is just incredible. I mean, I, I just find it fascinating because they're so high up and you're, you're talking yeah. about all this weight of cars and, you know, you're talking about going down into the ground to make like, you know, how can you put something in the ground where it's actually going to stay? 
Because yeah. you think a lot of times it's like muck down there, so you got to really like make this. How do they make it stay? Yeah, underwater yeah, too. Right, and, exactly. And again, someone building bridges probably like idiot. This is how you do it. And I'm yeah. like, but I just have never looked into the the process of it. But I think it's, I don't know. I just think that stuff's pretty neat. Um, and so Chris, what what do you what's your hope or what's your vision or what do you see the North Country maybe turning into over the next handful of decades, <sighs> having had a little bit of past experience in history and then. Well, I hope that people. I mean. I love the North Country. I love this area, and uh, I just hope I look at Caleb, and I hope there's opportunities out there for people such as Caleb, and 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 that we can still attract people, and that we, uh, you know, I look out the window here, I look at Lake Champlain, I, I just love Lake Champlain. I love the history of it. I, you know, I, I just pray to God that the people that we leave our legacy to have the same same opportunities that we do, and really appreciate and value the area. And get to understand, you know, embrace the history of it, embrace the current state, mm-hmm. and look towards the future. And I think we have, uh, I know we have some pretty talented people looking at the future. Um, not just, not just Plattsburgh either. I mean, I'm talking like the whole area, like the whole region. Regional, yep. You know, region and all that kind of stuff. And and I think uh, it took me a while probably to understand the, really appreciate the history. Even though I, when I was going to school, I, I loved history. But to really, really, as I get older, I really, truly appreciate the history of of the where we live and the whole region and actually the beauty of it and i think it takes like you said before i, I had the opportunity at least before covid anyway to do some traveling but i really it always it's always nice to come home right mm-hmm. it's always nice to come home and we live in such a beautiful area and i i obviously know a lot of people that travel to our location from different parts of the united states to canada and they're just fast i mean they come here to vacation i mean they come here to spend some time along the what we call now the Adirondack Coast, and I hope we can coin that phrase a little bit more. And yeah, and uh, but we got a lot of, and just to get to know the people. I think um, I don't think I know we have probably one of the best workforces around in terms of uh, dedication and maybe some of that too. When I was growing up, I mean, some of the best people that I've ever hired or used to grow up on a farm because they have that mm-hmm. dedication, they have that value, you know. And I see Caleb, and I'm obviously a little bit biased with him, but. You know he's he's a pretty dedicated guy and and uh, puts his heart and soul into everything. So I hope to see and I know you do in in your I see your podcast or listen to your podcast and I see you out there and and uh, you know people like Megan Whedon and, and uh, yeah, yeah, all right. these folks that you know the young professionals that are coming up. Uh, mm-hmm. Molly Ryan just got appointed to the yeah. IDA, which is great news. You know and Molly did a great job for Billy Jones. Billy Jones. You know some of the yep. some of the good politicians that we have out there. So when you're talking about uh, eye opening, a couple of years ago, maybe you were there. Billy had his like roundtable thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah and I just great. like sitting there and, and listening, and it was it's kind of funny. I, I think the two youngest people were me and Alex Berry. Alex yeah. is my age, and she was sitting. I actually I think I was sitting next to Alex, and uh, you know, so we were sitting there, and Adam Crosley was there, and Adam's a few yeah. years older than me, and but most most people, I was in the younger age bracket there, so I remember sitting there and i had i had stuff prepared because i was like i don't know what i don't even know what this is going to be and you know if i get called on i don't want to just be like a deer in headlights so i had done a little bit of research prior and um i didn't say a word the whole time but part of me was just watching it go around and just internalizing um and just learning everything uh um uh i forgot the guy's name from jeru's farm not Um, not uh, not willie or craig but uh um husband Todd was there and then you started looking at the people from BOCES and you started yeah. looking at um, obviously people that ran companies and Dave Coyer was there from staffing and 
when you start adding in all the different inputs of people, and um, Kim Mannion was next to me when at the time when she owned uh, Maui, and yeah, you start um, hearing their points of view, kind of the same thing. We all come from different industries, and and but there's I was looking at what's the similarities, and then what's something that I might not be really affected by too much. But Todd might be, or you know, the, the president of BOCES might That's be bringing right. up in, or education, and you start tying in the, the the similarities between all of us, and like, okay, they're struggling with this, and they're struggling with this, or maybe in a lot, obviously, like broadband was a you know big yeah. one for many people, and you start realizing that we're more there's a lot of interconnectedness amongst industries and amongst people and amongst you know especially the area, and I find. The one thing that I, I like is when you get a lot of like-minded people in a room to kind of spitball ideas back and that. forth. Yeah, it great. is powerful, and I think the the one the one thing that I, I hate politics on a national scale because it's just so divisive and it to yeah. me it's a sideshow. But if you look at the politics on a local level, I think it's, I'm very interested in it because not that I, want, I don't want to run for politics, but right. watching like someone like Billy or Mike Cashman or you know people on the on the county level, Mark Henry, and you're looking at these people that have inputs and ideas and and all the stuff they're trying to bring together to have some type of um, positive impact, but then well, they're you... pulling in the same direction. I think that's exactly, the key, is that, you know, and uh, you see that too with the collaboration. I again over the last few years, but <clears throat> looking at the collaboration with Clinton Community and Plattsburgh State, yeah, and how they're critical to like the business world mm-hmm. and to the financial world and, and the healthy. And I never really. I guess I never, I don't want to say I didn't appreciate, but I never really understood it as much as I, as I did. Is there well, so critical? Well, two things off of that. I mean, well, one, I'll jump back when you look at, you know, Cashman and, and Rosenquist, like starting to have a little bit more, I think, collaboration, collaboration yeah. of the two, which is, I mean, you have to, because we're a small area, you have to like the shared services and all that makes sense. But then you start looking at um, the colleges. The one thing that in the back of my mind is something that I've, it's kind of a goal of mine at some point in my career is to work more with, cause I have interns from Plattsburgh state yeah. and, and I went to Plattsburgh state. And the thing is when you go to Plattsburgh state, when I was about Caleb's age, maybe a little bit older is you don't, to me, it was just like, okay, I gotta go to college. It was like checking the box. I go to yeah. school and, and it was, right. I was coaching at the time I was working. I, you know, I, I didn't stay on campus. I commuted to save money. And I looked at it as, something I had to go do and I didn't embrace it as much as I wish I would have because now I embrace it more because one of the things we talk yeah. about people coming to the area and staying there's not a better gateway to the north country than Plastic State because you have absolutely what you know even if you say 50% of the college is people that are from out of the area and that's probably small it's probably more than that yeah. you're talking that's three to four thousand students that come in from other parts of the country and other parts of the world that get you know that get brought into our community and trying to get trying to build a better community for you know if someone went down to you know chapel hill north carolina and went to unc right. there's probably opportunity in and around Asheville and and, all, and raleigh and all those places down oh, yeah. there we're like i'm just gonna go there even though i'm from iowa well like and that's just an example but if you bring someone in from rochester or long island or new york city yeah. up to here and you say wow i like the college it's a little more low-key but i like the vibe of it and oh by the way there's opportunity here for me because m- most I've said this before. It's like you get a kid from college. I always ask them, all the interns, like, okay, do you like Plattsburgh? Yes. Do, or do you like college? Yes. Do you like the area? Yes. Do you yeah. like um, what you do? Yes. Um, would you stay here? And they're like, yeah, that if an opportunity. And then it's followed up, like, are you going to stay here? And it's like, well, or what's your plans after college? And it's like, well, I think I'm going to go back to hometown, you know, fill yeah. in the blank. And I think a lot of it is either 
there's no opportunity or it's not presented or it's not put in front of them as much. It's not put in front of them, yeah. And I and I think one of the and it's being done, but I I one of my you talk about like a vision board plan, whatever. You know, one of the things I have written down of things I would like to be involved in is really putting a focus effort to be like liaison the college to the local community. Yeah. And I know there's there's groups that do that, but to really put something in place where it's like we're actively going to go in and proactively go in and try to show these young students like here is a very viable option and here's a very you know vibrant growing community and here's a beautiful place to raise a family it's and important now now it's important more than ever because we need to retain that talent once people yeah once they leave and i think you see it too i look at not knowing the airbase like i should but i look at the people that stayed over from uh, when the airbase closed there a lot of them are either i've worked with them or they they hold some pretty high positions in the community right now. Yeah. Based on their experience, but they they came here, not with the intention of staying. But at the end of the day, a lot of people stayed. Yeah, and I, I think and I think the more we can grow that and show yeah. that, and I think and again, since the base closed, and the, and the base closing wasn't I I don't really think was a a reach like our you know obviously it was a political yeah. reasons why it closed. But if you take the last twenty five years of trying to again strategically put us back on the map and. You know whether it's the transportation cluster that Gary talks about, or, yep. or everything the else that's, and yeah, yep, that stems yeah. from that. Um, you know, and even just the you know getting um, like uh, Joel involved with Namstrand and trying to really trying to put you know um, more of a focus, or, or or you know Sue putting you know the focus on the development aspect, and I think bringing all of that here, but then allowing as that starts to uh, mature, yeah, you, you will get. And your kid- small businesses have a big impact on that too not yeah. just we you know we spent a lot of time in the last hour or so talking about you know the large stuff but you know the i'm really excited to see what's happening with the smaller businesses um you know based because of COVID. i hate to say it but you know mm-hmm. and uh i know a lot of my sh- christmas shopping this year was it last year i think it was like 99 percent all online and this year was yeah about 90 percent local businesses which is great well i think you know you try to put a focus on that and the same thing with like food yeah i would say if we go out to eat, ninety nine percent of the time it's at some local establishment. Absolutely, and, and I would say ninety, probably close to that. Ninety nine percent of the time, if I get gift certificates for people, it's from a local Me too. place. Yeah, just to support like, them. Yeah, like I'll make yeah. the extra trip out to Latitude or or the Pepper or yeah. you know Anthony's to go pick up something because exactly the thing is you know those people and like I know Dave and, and the people that own Anthony's live in my commute like my uh, streets yeah. and you know you you. I just think there's a lot of, like I said, it's kind of the economic cycle that you want to try to keep as much here. But I think that going out and bringing the economics back into the community is important too. And, and we're starting to see. Absolutely. I mean, I look at Caleb's uncle owns uh, Cornerstone and, and Keysville oh, Pharmacy. Danny. Danny yeah, yeah. Great guy, you know, and he really does a lot for the community and he really tries to put back into the community where, I shouldn't say this, but, you know, you're not going to have that same type of, uh, you're not going to have that same type of feeling from, say, like uh not that they're a bad company, but like uh, a Walgreens or something of mm-hmm. that nature, you know. Whereas, you know, Danny's always supported the local local folks. Yeah, and... I got to get Danny on here because I I, oh, I don't, awesome. I, I don't yeah. know that I know of him. I don't know him that well, but again, just like just an individual that you see uh, doing stuff guy. in the community, and and yeah. uh, you know, I think a lot of people have a lot of respect for him and what he's done. Yeah. And, and like a lot of it is just the, the mentality that people have, and if you have that, you know, I I, I call it kind of a North Country mentality, which. I think it's a great thing to have. And I think the people that, you know, 
I think the people that have that, knowing that, like, hey, this is a cool place to be and a good place to be, and I think really dive into that was um, in the future just gonna be cool. Well, Danny's a good example. I mean, he could have probably worked for some left the area. I'm sure he could have left the area and, and and probably had that opportunity, but he, you know, maybe make a lot more than what he's making now, just working for. And at the end of the day, just be able to go home and. But he doesn't do that. He, he you know, he's taken that pharmacy in Keysville and, and done some really neat stuff down there. Same yeah. thing with the Cornerstone Ross's Point. But he took that chance, and he's a hard working, dedicated guy. So that's a good example. I look yeah. at Danny and you know some of these yeah, folks. Yeah, like so. I said, mindset. And you got to have that that courage and that self belief just to make like a small business, just to yeah. say like. I'm going to bet on myself a little bit and see if we can make it happen. Caleb and I are smart enough to be pharmacists, I don't think, but like Uncle Dan, but he, uh, but uh, it's, you know, it's it's a unique uh, profesh- profession. It really that is. area, too. I mean, not being alive during that time. You guys saw Champlain in, you know, 1980. Yeah. Um, 1990. And um, if you go back, I'm mentioning the legend, uh, I see him often, is uh, Calvin Castine. I go back and watch the videos of him driving yeah. through and. Yeah. In 2000 or 1990, driving through Champlain and, you know, going, I talk about um, Don's place, uh, Central Nutrition. I mean, that's a small yeah. place and people have mixed feelings about it, but you're bringing something to Champlain that hasn't been there in 10, 20 years. Yeah. I mean, ever since they got, I mean, there really isn't many businesses that are in the village anymore. Um, and that's why I cringe a little bit, um, not going against anything, but Ross's point, when you, when you look at the old Wyeth property, and they uh, and you listen to the board meetings and they're and they're turning down these ideas of the solar and you know incorporating more business into into that area i mean you kind of forget wh- how much outside work has has expanded Ross's point like well, the power and well one of the things I, and i love the idea of solar power and all that um and i think that obviously that's going to be the future for a lot of things but the one thing that i have always wondered and, I, and then you just brought it up with the Wyeth area, but he used to have the Miramar outlets. I'm yeah. surprised there's not mm-hmm. an outlets anymore. I know. Especially that, that place up there looks like, I mean. It looks like hell. I mean, that, yeah. that's in our backyard. It's literally in my backyard. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like, I mean, I hate to, it's not Chernobyl, but it looks like that. Yeah. It was just like packed up and everybody left. And yeah. it's just, it's still sitting there. And Miramar's, if you go down to um, Estero, which is just south of, uh, or just north or just south i think of um fort myers, fort myers. there's a massive it's the miramar outlets down yeah. there it's the same thing and but i mean why if i don't know if it has that much space but there's a decent amount and i always thought if you could put a um the land down off of the turnpike as you go down at, um tom miller road and the turnpike there's a bunch of land right there neil's actually got a big uh yeah. plot for sale too if you look at that um the idea of like could that have been turned into some kind of outlet because you would get the canadians yeah. that would come down and, and i think that would be a place for businesses and be a place for um and again i'm not i don't think i'm saying anything that hasn't been already discussed at the town or a, a county level yeah. but that would be something that i think you could have a lot of impact um yeah. well gentlemen because of, of of time and because uh I don't know. I just want to make sure that you, you were uh, no, no calls came in or anything. No, we've been pretty quiet. And uh, I was gonna say, if calls came, you guys would. I didn't we, even we, think we, about we, that. We've been rushing left out you, the door. No, we, we thank got you for, one. Did you get a call? We got one. Ross's point. Yeah. Well, we thank you for the opportunity to, yeah. to jump on and talk about different stuff and Caleb uh, for Caleb to have some exposure here and just to jump on and great, great, oh, great morning. No, absolutely. And I, I guess last question: Are we related anyhow? No, so that's a disclaimer, right? I don't, I don't know. Maybe spelt the some, same way. Spelt the same way. Uh, often people ask me, and 
course, the affiliation, I, I look at wire, you know, Joey's involved with We wiring. said that Dave, and I was like, yeah, I've known Dave yeah. for a while, and it's like, yeah. Yeah, so no, no, we're, there are a lot of trombleys around here, though, but we're not related. I was so. going to say, probably, you need Ellenberg trombleys? No, actually, uh, the, my trombley um, uh, heritage, if you will, really came from Vermont. My, I was actually born in St. Albans, but moved here. I think when I was like one or two years old, obviously okay. I don't remember it, but, uh, what was your mother's maiden name? Strack. So, Strack. Okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of Stracks up in the, we actually bought our house from Stracks, which, uh, Strack. uh, Bart. Yeah. There's some, some relation there. Yeah. Okay. Like yeah. Cousin or something like that. So Strack is a pretty common name up in the Saranac area and Saranac Lake and that in Redford. Especially. Well, that's where we live in Morrisville. So yeah. yeah the, the, Redford. There were kids when it went to Saranac. There's some relation with Redford glass and we get into the whole history of that. But, uh, yeah, so that so there's a lot of trombleys around, just like there's a lot of different Le names Fountains. out there. LaFountain's, Le Castines. Oh, the, oh yeah. I was gonna say, the thing is, when you yeah. go up, there's names from all around, but when yeah. you really go up into the northern tier oh, and yeah. you get all those French Canadian names, then you're yeah. like, okay, we're we're like th those are historically long, long, long years of, of uh, family lineage there. Yeah. So trombley's one of them, and there's multiple ways to spell trombley. Multiple uh, ways. I mean, we spell it right. The B L E Y. That's ways, right. So that's good. So we. Uh, I was gonna say, our, our, I have a lot of uh, Shazy trombley's without the E. Yeah. So they always say we put the feminine E in it, but that's right. I I I, uh, I think ours just looks a little more complete with the E Y. A lot so. of trombley's and Shazy. Yeah, oh yeah, they, of, they uh, all, all great guys. No, no relation, but they're all. Uh, like I said, I grew up with a lot of those. Uh, a lot of those people. Yeah, we got from, some good people all the way around. Plattsburgh, Shazy, <laughs> Champlain, Ellenberg. I mean, you name it. Yeah, we, we really truly do have. I, mean, I think that's the heart and soul of what we're talking about today as a people. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you. No, absolutely. So again, that's uh, Chris and Caleb uh, Trombley. And um, like I said, if you need to anything with, I guess, operations or we want to check them out again, Country Mall. Uh, group up in uh, Champlain and Caleb I'm sure we'll be hopefully seeing more of him in the future he seems like a bright young man and uh, off to some pretty cool things so uh, gentlemen thank you so much for coming on um, that is episode episode 178 of the Galen Trombley show thanks for listening to the Galen Trombley show if you want to reach me you can go on Facebook at Galen Trombley on Instagram at Galen Trombley and on YouTube at Galen Trombley the spelling G-A-E L-A-N-T-R-O-M-B-L-E-Y.